0: You're listening to Raft City Radio, your underground, overwater home of the final news about the Callisto Six. My name is Mitch, a.k.a. Kung Fu Panzer, and with me I have... Laurent designation,
1: P.A. Blackhawk. KC, a.k.a. Phoenix, P-H-E-O-N-Y-X.
2: As, a.k.a. Captain Tiny.
3: Craig, a.k.a. V. Kim
2: And I'm Kato, a.k.a. Kato.
0: The final, a.k.a. Kato. Surprise!
2: I was secretly (laughs) Kato all along! That was my secret identity, you guys.
0: How could we have known?
2: I'm sad now. deeply mysterious.
1: Deeply mysterious. Deeply wonderful.
2: I am very much the Tuxedo Mask of this podcast.
1: The journey was about the Kato's we made along the way. (laughs) Kato's are made? Yes, Mm.
2: in factories.
0: Kato's are artificial. Oh. Good
2: yes tonight. yes well technically everything is made like nothing appears like full form into this universe from somewhere else everything is you know made
0: there is a big difference between katos are born and caters are made
2: well no but caters that are born are also made they're just made before being born and also after a little bit <laughs> you know <laughs> like my like th- there's a reason why mother who made me is like a song and like a whole thing like you know there's a lot of making that goes into the process of, you know, baby making. That's why they call it baby making.
3: Haven't even started the discussion and we're already off topic.
2: <laughs> I'd always so like to point out that song is not called Mother Who Made Me, it's called Mama Who Bore Me, so. Shush, shush, shush. Get
0: shush. donked.
2: The like the important point is that baby making involves making a baby, and I was a baby, and so therefore I was made.
0: Good. I'll allow it. Yeah. For now. So apparently we're a podcast. About Callisto 6.
2: We definitely are a podcast.
0: For at least one more episode, yes. We definitely are a podcast. At least one more.
2: I think we're technically about cricket.
0: I think technically we are about cricket, that's right. Mm. (laughs) Though theoretically also maybe rugby.
2: Uh, God knows.
0: We'll see.
4: I tried to shove hockey into it, it didn't work.
0: No, No. it it just bounced right off. It's because we
2: keep having arguments about the correct surface on which to play hockey, and of course everyone knows that what you should do is not play hockey on any surface. You should wear magnetized boots and play on a magnetized board with a magnetized thing so you don't touch anything, you just hover slightly above the board and then, you know, go around doing hockey stuff.
0: (laughs) Are we possibly avoiding talking about something to then mean that it ends?
2: Yeah. If we talk about mag hockey forever, then that's fine. (laughs)
0: Well, unfortunately, or fortunately, we are talking about Callisto Six mm, mm, a whole three season wrap up, and as always, at the top of the episode, what did everyone think?
3: It's okay, I guess
2: <laughs> <laughs> Oh good, good yeah. oh, Craig. <laughs> that's that's british for i'm so overwhelmed by emotion i couldn't possibly be drawn to any comment because to, to say even one thing that barely touched the surface of how i feel about this show would express such a shameful and deep uh, affection that i absolutely cannot allow that to happen
3: that is a correct translation
0: thank you kato also known as it was fine yeah
2: i speak english yeah
0: <laughs> speak english and british
2: yeah well, it's, it's more English than British. Like, I've never really met that many Scottish people who were uh, hesitant to be forthright about what they thought of me. So
0: That's true.
2: You know, it's, it's, it is actually an English thing, for all that we like mm. to pretend that it's a British thing. So, I think that it's a very difficult question um, because the act of creating an entire show in an entire new universe and telling that story over whatever you know, over 36 episodes over three seasons in an improvised setting and improvised format is incredible. And having kind of the amount of buy-in and changing the lives of people that watched it and consumed it, all of that is such an incredible achievement that I kind of think that it's difficult to be like, what did you think? And it's like, well, it changed people's lives. It allowed people to understand themselves in new and fantastic ways, to find hope and positivity and to reframe how they thought about the world um it was entirely successful as a work of art in changing people's lives and impacting upon them and that of itself is just such a phenomenal achievement to do that with absolutely no backing to create something whole cloth and go here's this thing and have it impact on people is just so incredible as an achievement so huge that it's kind of hard to go well actually i thought you know the midsection dragged a bit or whatever sort of critique you might make
0: i completely agree. As as an as like a, as an ip as a as a thing end to end it has such depth
5: mm.
0: and it's that's not a common thing you see in live stream role playing or even a lot of traditional media
2: <laughs> let let us drag traditional media once again
0: depth is something that is always kind of mentioned
2: it's so easy to create superficial art um and it's so easy to create a story that is too derivative and too sort of reflexive to be anything other than a parody or a satire of a genre. And it's very easy to do things soullessly uh, when you're sort of creating in, in lots of ways and to make something that just doesn't quite fit together because production is really hard and creating is really hard. And so to make something that stands up so well, particularly when you think about what we're comparing it to really is the past two shows that Eric has run, both of which have been based on successful IPs. And you could argue that a lot of the success there comes from fan familiarity with lots of other sort of stuff. Um, you know, it's sort of very standing on the shoulders of giants as a creator. And to go from that to creating an entirely new world and to have the result and the impact it has is really impressive.
0: Hmm. I think it's the kind of the honesty of the setting and the honesty of the players Hmm. completely committing to this whole new world and them all being on the same page in delivering that story yeah, made a huge difference.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think we should, like, uh, I don't know if I've... I've not caught myself, but uh, I think we should say, like, this is something that Eric Campbell and Sam have made together. They worked very hard on the setting. Like, there's a lot... It's very easy to think of it as Eric's baby, because Eric is very much the one who was presenting the story to the players. Um, and even Sam was going on a journey of discovery as Lacey in that way. But Sam did a huge amount of writing in terms of filling out the world and the universe, um, and really sort of helping Eric on the ground floor of that creative process. Um, and so I kind of want to be clear that those two people made it together, and it's not, it's not just Eric's baby, even though he was the one kind of presenting most of the ideas. Um, because of the like different roles that they, they played front of house.
3: And I love the world building in this. I mean, well, uh, let's actually call it city building because anything outside of <laughs> L.A. was essentially <laughs> unexplored. Uh, well, we uh, but it. the city was fantastic. I mean, you could see the detail and the thought that went into it. I, I do wonder how much stuff that was created for 22nd L.A. that we didn't actually get to see, that they didn't happen to go around that corner and visit a donut shop where Eric or Sam had planted there uh, so uh, I'd love to see all the notes for the background on this because I'm sure it'd be absolutely fascinating mm. Mm, Absolutely
2: There is a building campaign to have Geek and Sundry release a Six setting book uh, and I think it would be really fantastic and there would be a lot of support for that idea because there is so much interesting and novel and relevant about this world that was created and it is very much a shame that we won't get to see more stories told in it at least for a little while um, and I think lots of people would like the opportunity to create their own stories uh, and to reference a kind of the what felt like a much larger world than what was presented on screen uh, instead of the complete story of uh, Callisto 6. Mm.
4: We should also mention that other players also had input. Gina had some a, lo- a lot of input into Wrath City and then Amy and mm-hmm. Eliza had a lot of input into Baldwin Island And those two areas felt very, very unique and very much different flavors of different areas.
2: Yeah, I think um, it's an approach that I'm seeing a little bit more nowadays is kind of storytelling, uh, particularly role-play storytelling, where people, where you as the GM turn to someone and say, okay, well, tell me about this place. What do you think this person is like? What do you think this part of the world is like? And I see people who are kind of like openly on stream say, Okay, well, we've introduced this, like, notion of this shopkeeper. What do you think shopkeepers are like in this part of the world? Um, and a much more kind of conversational style of world building. And I think given the kind of the live and unedited way that Eric runs his games, it probably isn't that easy to do that on the stream in an Eric run game. Uh, but you can certainly see he was giving that opportunity to create space for the players in that world. And I think it's so important. Like, it's very easy in classic games like D&D to be like, well, okay, I can maybe build a character and maybe that character's family and, like, important NPCs. But I can't really build anything more than that. You know, I can't build the city where my character's from. I can't build any of that. That's all kind of on the GM. Um, Or at least it has been traditionally. So flipping that and saying, well, tell me about the entire country where you come from. Or tell me all about the borough where you grew up. And tell me all about that part of your city, and that can be a piece that you can really feel proud of and feel ownership of in this world. Uh, I think it's a really great way to make storytelling more collaborative and roleplay. And I really liked what Eric and the cast did with that in telling the story.
0: For sure. It, it it gave the whole setting this kind of living, breathing feel, mm. especially when like we had such a variety of origins for characters. Obviously, we had Rough City, for two of them, we had Baldwood Island for two of them, but then we had the the rich corporate area for one, and a kind of middling but slightly lower class one for hops.
2: I mean it was it was corporate gone to seed, essentially, wasn't yeah. it? It's really interesting.
0: And I think I think you're you're right there, like with that kind of they took ownership of those things, which then connected the players more to the characters and to the world itself. Uh I think that's why so much of the story took place in Raw City because uh, Gina and Sam had invested so much of themselves into it.
2: Mm. I think also it's really important and interesting to be able to draw on different backgrounds and different perspectives when you're sort of building a city that is so diverse as kind of future LA should be. So I think um, part of what I really liked is how much control like Eliza seemed to have over Baldwin Island and how much flavor Baldwin Island got the Baldwin Island got? How much flavor Baldwin Island got? Baldwin. Yeah, that can all stay in, I guess. That can um, absolutely stay in. I'm so excited to hear it. It's, um, it's your cut it,
4: But now we can't.
2: No, yeah, we can't. I, I mean, you can I'm cut trying, around everything. I try so hard to get back to how much flavor Baldwin Island got from Eliza um, because I think, like, Eric and Sam are both white, obviously, um, and Eliza is going to have a different perspective and have different kind of roots to draw on and having those authentic perspectives, building parts of your city and parts of your story and saying, well, okay, here's this experience of people who were immigrants of colour or uh, particularly are people who were black or Latina and like have lived here now for a hundred years. And what does that change? And what does that do? And do they have different relationships with the city than white people? And what does that do? And kind of like all of that feeding into good, diverse storytelling that is not just one perspective. Uh, also makes a really interesting story, so I, I wanted to kind of highlight like the necessity of having different perspectives. If you're going to create an entire city, you want it to feel like it belongs to everyone, and it tells everyone's stories or reflects everyone's stories.
0: Hmm. And I think because also the the genre that the the game was set in a cyberpunk come superpunk style is all about progress and the new and kind of equality being not about what you are but what you can be and so having that kind of the whole slew of different voices coming from different backgrounds and not only for heroes but also villains having a good idea of what is possible in a cyberpunk game especially and we've touched on this a lot in the previous episodes when cyberpunk historically has been super restrictive Mm. and allowing the this game and this setting to break those shackles and really be about an interesting world
2: mm. and super like super just straight up ableist as well like I think that's, yeah yeah for sure I think that's that's a big thing to sort of say that Cyberpunk has in various ways over various points in time been either very good at or very bad at often um, kind of telling uh, stories about people who uh, are different from the norm in a couple of different ways significantly and I think. Like, it's true, just like, any person with any disability can feed into that story and that narrative in a different way and can give it some much-needed perspective and kind of go, okay, well, not everyone who, for example, has a prosthetic limb is a monster. Calm down. None um, of this
0: more machine-than-man bullshit.
2: None of that. Um, but I think it's also, it's particularly true of just kind of how valuable Sam is as a, a resource and a creator, because you, I know Sam, and I know Sam kind of goes on deep dives and has a lot of... Uh, sort of medical perspective and has a lot of interesting, uh, has a lot of interests that go in many different places, but a lot of which are like science. And I think that for a a cyberpunk world and a future setting, it's very useful to have someone who's gonna go, you know what, I'm gonna spend all of today looking at the potential future applications of this particular aspect of science. What does that look like? How can I tell a story with interesting versions of that? And tomorrow, it will be a different bit of science and a different set of applications. But let's throw all of those together. So let's you know, let's really try and predict in interesting ways what health will look like in 100 years and really think about uh, what people are maybe saying the future of tech and health is or just health by itself and really kind of saying, okay, well, what, what's an interesting frame for that? Um, and having those interests and having that ability to sort of go on like very long sort of researching uh, trips really enables you to go, all right, I'm going to tell a story that feels like an accurate future because it's based on projections of science.
0: So yeah, so it's super interesting when you've got someone like Sam, who's so interested in telling these hard stories about things like disability and identity. So having that level of understanding in the world, and that level of commitment to the to that world, really showing through in that relationship between Eric and Sam.
2: Mm. I think a lot of them are committed to telling those kinds of stories in different ways. Um, and obviously, they have very different things that are challenging them right now, and those are the sorts of stories they tell in the future. so I think it's it's not just Sam necessarily like Sam can bring a lot of very interesting perspectives like um about gender and about sort of disability particularly, but then you look at like how Eliza killed the um the discussion about like what is or isn't good violence as done by an algorithm or a computer Mm.
5: Uh,
2: and you can see how Elisa is the person that has the most visceral experience of that in the real world and why she would be able to bring that in a way that Sam although a very thoughtful person and a very um empathetic person wouldn't have that same connection necessarily with that story so yeah I think it it's true of the cast in general that they are willing to engage um on these kind of big button issues and really sort of take a deep dive, and to respect other people when they're taking those as well. So, Mm. uh, you can't just tell a story between Eric and Sam, for example. You need the other characters to be on board, you need the other players to be on board, and invested in telling those harder stories. um, And really caring about their their fellow classmates.
0: Absolutely. And I think before we get too much more into the story, we should probably do a little bit, have a bit of a discussion on the things that propped up C6 and made it made it happen.
2: Mm. You mean the props?
0: The props, Re- literally the props, but <laughs> <laughs> the production crew.
2: Uh huh. Mad props to them.
0: Mad props for their props and the backdrops. I'm gonna stop now. Uh, All those
3: special <laughs> effects. They really stepped it up a level. That's fantastic.
0: From the get-go, there was a really great style to the show that was reflected completely in its set and in its music and in its art that all of the production team rallied together to make
1: let's not forget the fan art absolutely because there was some fantastic fan art chronicling bits and pieces of the stories that were told that were just absolutely amazing
2: i'm still seeing bits of art that are taking me back to some of my favorite moments throughout the show um I think, like, uh, let's kind of take this one by one because I think it's true, like, there was a really clear design concept um, that really fit with the aesthetic of the show from very early on. So, like, the original logo, um, the art specifically of the six characters uh, that had that kind of almost realistic style but blended with the cast's actual faces kind of thing. Um, Like, the six as a logo is just such a strong piece of design. Um, and then kind of like in the early pre-season stuff we were getting with all the teasers um, with the different kind of cube in the middle effects for the different power sets. Um, All of that fed through to stuff like the backdrop behind Eric um, and the way that they chose to have the cast in semi-costume the whole time and kind of almost cosplaying their characters and to sort of blend those boundaries a little bit between um, player and character. All of that made for this really, really strong aesthetic concept.
4: There's also the initial desaturation of everything at the very first few episodes and the yeah. general lightning.
2: Not, not as, not such a big fan of that, actually. Yeah,
0: <laughs> It did make a little bit hard to see yeah. in the first couple of episodes.
2: And it definitely, uh, I think it...
0: But they remedied that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it comes down to stuff like, Um, listening to the fans and the fan base. So we don't know kind of how much of that was artistic choice that like it would get brighter over time. Um, I certainly don't think that necessarily the brightness of the show fluctuated as much with the story as it might have otherwise. Because I think it was clear very early on that it was a concern for some people just in terms of accessibility. It was difficult to see everyone when they were so desaturated. Um, And contrasting just some of like the pop punk colours that we got later on with that very desaturated... Moody starred. I, I, I don't necessarily love the lighting choices early on. I think they were strong <laughs> artistic choices that I uh, didn't like, and that's okay.
0: <laughs> they made a choice, and that's okay. Yep. Yes. But I think it developed with the show. And you could see them dipping their toes into new things, having lighting effects in the background, having the Xander going invisible effect,
5: mm.
0: that was which was cool. a
1: delight. And then also they added that ability to sort of have that focus, that one-on-one focus. Yeah, the one-on-one when Eric cameras. would talk to a particular player. You had that side-by-side, which was really great to see. And it was something completely different than what we saw in S.H.I.E.L.D. or TBD. And it really brought a much more, I, I want to say, intimacy to those stories, at that time because you're focused on just those two people whereas if it was done before you would still see the rest of the cast and it it just it it, even though those stories were fantastic don't get me wrong (laughs) uh but adding it so that it was that one-on-one focus was a great choice for them to make for the show live editing
0: is an absolute backbreaking labor and they managed to do it with ease.
2: Mm. It it was very fluid and very solid and it was really impressive to see that kind of stuff come out. And I think um obviously like there's there's been lots of changes kind of as far as like Geek and Sundry's direction recently. Um but those kinds of skills are really stuff that I want to see applied more to live stream RPGs. Like if you're gonna have big budget set if you're going to invest time and money in kind of this kind of focus um doing stuff like that and making it more of an art form that has kind of diversity beyond just like wide shot of the players close up of the gm kind of style it's going to be really interesting to see over the next like 10 20 years how that stuff develops uh how yeah. those techniques develop what that does and how that changes because I think this is such a new medium it's gonna be fascinating to see uh, like in what direction those boundaries are pushed and what happens with that kind of thing because it's it's really fascinating. because um, I think in some ways the the sort of this um, the very like fixed perspective is quite like a play like you get to choose who you're focusing on you've got the the wide view of everyone. But you can't see everyone as close up, whereas switching between different camera angles and different shots really gives that kind of like movie style where your focus is drawn in a particular direction and the camera is directing your eye and making some of those choices for you. Um, and that's where kind of like editing and directing as a role for uh, someone to do in an RPG live stream could well become more of a thing in the future.
0: Yeah, it just makes you think about all the things that are possible.
2: Mm. It's just, it's so interesting to me that you, because you have to have someone calling that, and it isn't normally the GM, because the GM is so invested in the story. Um, So, like, the additional layer of someone who is directing where you focus, uh, and, like, who might not even make those choices, because normally in C6, it's choices that are made because Eric is in a one-on-one scene with another player, um, and that's when you get the close-up. But it would be super interesting to see someone like a producer go, okay, I think what we need is a close-up on this person during this monologue. Yeah, like, yeah, wide shots of everyone, sure, sure, sure. But let's, like, let's do a series of close-ups as we shot. Give me
0: that, give me that good, good Amy react face.
2: Well, yeah, but, like, can we cut between all the different players to make it more dramatic? Like, what are we, what are we doing? And moving towards almost a film style, but with something that is not edited like a film, is not kind of scripted like a film, doesn't have any of those sort of filmic actions, Uh, is really interesting, and it comes to a point where I think it's going to be a really interesting interplay between live TV production, where you do kind of have those cues, and you can set up and be like, okay, go camera one, and sports, where you don't know where the action is going to happen, but like most televised sport now, you can cut between different shots and different angles, depending on where focus is being drawn. Um, So there's a lot of... There's a lot that this medium has to borrow from film and TV, uh, that it would be really interesting to see what it does with that stuff
0: Yeah, it's developing its own language And it's such a It's a very fascinating thing to watch
2: mm-hmm.
0: And I think To discuss the the elephant in the room The the misnamed system As we like to refer to
6: it You
2: like
6: to refer to it got I still don't know what Cypher system is And at this point I'm too afraid to ask It's
2: D. Cypher
1: system is a cypher Mm. Oh God! I guess it would probably be about the best way to put it no, because no it was kind of a. Once you really get deeper into it, like we know Cato did, you you kind of get the idea, but at first blush, first glance, it comes. It seems simple, but then it's really confusing. <laughs> that's that that's to sum it up. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, okay, you have three stats, and you have a a, a, a a challenge rating that you have to beat. Well, how do you beat that? Well, you got to roll a d20, and you take that challenge rating number and multiply. Then it's like, wait, what? You have to multiply by three now? That's where it gets, for, for a new person who's never dealt with RPGs at all, it's going to come off a little weird.
2: Absolutely. Not many people but put modification people in their like, games you know, for reasons. Yeah, and
1: <laughs> not
3: so, oh, so many modifiers. The
4: modifiers. Oh, God, the modifiers.
1: Yeah, and then you got the modifiers. This is not a... I hate to say this, but it's not a beginner system. As simple as it seems to come across, it really is not, in my personal opinion... A beginner system. You don't start somebody on Cypher system. In a way, you're actually a little better off starting them off in something like Dungeons & Dragons.
2: I think Dungeons & Dragons, you're better off starting them in Dungeons & Dragons because there is so much in the way of teaching resources out there for d and um, I don't necessarily think that I would agree that it's a good beginner system. It really depends on where you're coming from. So I would, for example, teach someone who is used to battle map um, miniatures games, I would teach them a very different beginner role-playing system than I would teach someone who had come entirely from improv. Um, because in improv I would be saying, okay, I understand what you're saying and you want to tell an interesting story, but hear me out. What if there was structure and a way in which we decided what was going to happen that wasn't just you said something and I yes and did it forever? Um, what if I could say no sometimes and the universe would back me up? Uh, Whereas, like for a, for someone who's coming from like a dice game that's miniature based, I would be thinking much more along the lines of, okay, you know how normally we show monsters blowing up robots and whatever. Um, what if we did that, but we also talked about how much our pilots wanted to kiss? Um, oh, could we, could we do that for five minutes, um, like dramatically, while this while, while we're killing this monster slash robot? Like, so you have you have different different people approaching role playing as a hobby. Uh, and, and that's not even getting into stuff like LARP as well. We'll have different core assumptions, um, and the important thing to remember is like it's its own thing. It's never gonna be, it's it's never gonna be what those people expect of it as first. And it's got such a lot of potential to be different. Um, I I think it is a very interesting system. I think it is probably a very good system. It is not a system that I personally like. Um, it doesn't cater to my particular whims as a role player. I don't think it, I think in some ways, the key question from the point of view of uh, whether or not it's a good system is, was it always clear what the stakes were for every role? So as an audience, could we watching know what the sort of the difficulty of a role was? Could we get a sense of how difficult the thing they were trying to do was? Did we understand what the likelihood of success was? Because that's kind of, a key thing that the, the, the system needs to do. And then did it facilitate interesting characters and interesting stories? Um, because that's the other kind of key thing the system really needs to do is to support the story you're trying to tell and the characters you want to build in that story. And so I think Cypher is very good for character concepts and very good for going, here's a bunch of different ways you can make a character. And then not that great necessarily at following all those characters up with interesting things to do once you've made them. And so that's that's kind of part of the problem is that people had very different skill levels. People had very different abilities to use their powers to effectively make change in the world. So Lacey was a very well-built character that had a very clear concept and had a lot of power in terms of changing the world and changing the narrative. Cass was equally interesting as a character but lacked the same agency as a mechanical sort of actor, didn't have the same power to change the narrative in the world just because the build style was very different um, and and physically just because Cypher doesn't necessarily do balance. Um, so I think that's like one fundamental question. Um, so if you're with players who don't care about winning and with a GM who's more interested in telling a good story than following the results on the dice, I think it works really well because you are just literally going, here's a bunch of cool concepts you can make. Can you make something interesting out of them? And then that's enough of a good story prompt to really facilitate the kinds of stories these guys wanted to tell and that kind of thing. I think that that problem comes in where you sort of say, but the players have different narrative power. They don't have the same agency in this world. They they just don't have the same ability to affect change. And that is going to make them more or less good in this narrative, because it is difficult when you have very little power or agency to affect change to be an interesting character because you just don't do anything because everything you try, you, you sort of fail at.
1: Playing off of that, you know, with Cass and, and how Amy built the character initially, uh, yeah, you could see that it was sort of thrott- kind of throttled or uh, like to call it nerfed. They didn't mean to do it, but the character was kind of nerfed until later when they, uh, when Amy was more familiar with the system and got to really learn the rules a lot better and was able to tweak Cass so that the character became more effective in combat than than, than she could actually was hit things in the early part yeah.
0: of the show. Mm. Which was nice. But I, I think <sniffs> on top of that we also were playing with essentially the unbalanced mode with superheroes.
2: Because uh, uh, it
0: drove difficulties up, it made uh, things
2: It it did do those things. I don't think um I don't think that was necessarily as big a factor as maybe you Want to think? Oh no,
0: I'm not saying it's a huge factor. I'm saying it changed things. Especially when it got down to, like, specialising and then uh, spotlighting. Because it made it so that, realistically, there was only one person that could solve certain problems.
2: Yeah. And I think that that is probably one of the problems, is that uh, if there's only one way to... Like, if you've got a puzzle and it has a lacy-shaped sort of, like, key... Lacey is the only person that's going to be able to solve that problem at a certain point. Um, And that does leave you in a point where uh, you're kind of going, well, the only person who fixes this is Lacey, so we just let Lacey do it, which doesn't need to interesting character moment or interesting development. Um, But I think, to be honest, that's a problem that it shares with stuff like D&D. Like, at a certain point, the way that you build D&D encounters is you go, well, they've got a rogue, so I have to make a lock or some kind of trap that the rogue will deal with. And then they've got a fighter, so I'll make something for the fighter to fight. And then I'll do something interesting to, like, wizardy that, like, will challenge the wizard to, like, maybe multiple people so they can use a fireball on them. Um, but you tend to do that. You tend to, sort of, get to a point where you're building encounters so that every player has, gets the opportunity at least once an episode, or, like, once a session, to do something interesting. And you go, okay, well, we've got a High Charisma Bard, so we'll, like, introduce some players, like, some NPCs for them to talk to. Um... And it's much more interesting if you're at a point in the world where you could say, right, here's a lock, maybe the fighter will smash it, maybe the rogue will unlock it with lockpicks, maybe the, the bard will seduce it, I don't know. But they could get around this locked door any one of those ways. And I don't know which one they're going to do, and all of them are interesting. Um, and I think that where Eric Sean was uh, in using Cypher to make non-combat challenges, and we only saw a couple of them throughout the series but they were the kind of the big superhero rescue challenges where Eric said, right, there's a bus falling out of the sky. Fix it. Right, there's a building full of lightning and you have to save the people at the top. Go. Um, and those non-combat challenges were so abstract that it allowed the players to interact with their powers in interesting ways and to solve things and to solve problems in ways that weren't just, I do the thing that my character was built to do. It works. Amazing. Um, yeah, th- those scenarios that
3: enabled uh, creativity curious. in the players uh, how they went about solving yeah. the problem that Eric had laid before
5: them.
1: Mm. Yeah, some of the better tense moments for me, like like you were saying, didn't come from the combats per se, but it was. Hey, we gotta stop, the, this train's going out of control. Or, there's all these people on the tower that need to be saved. That was more, it, to me, more tense and more gripping than the combat itself. While there were some tense moments during the combat, I didn't. I felt more worried about those other situations about what could happen than i was during the combat situations
2: i think that's totally fair and i I think that brings us nicely to the second point i wanted to make about kind of uh how i'm judging systems for stream and how i'm judging cypher as kind of like how good it was as a system for them to play in um and that is how clear are the stakes at any given time to the audience um and also i suppose how clear are the stakes at any given time to the players um so i think fundamentally like Cypher is not a system that everyone knows as well as D&D. Um, and really, if you are going to run combat in a system, part of what you need is for it to be obvious to everyone what the the potential kind of fallout from every failed role is and what you're worried about happening. Um, and so, like, in most of D&D, when you have a combat... The the worries you're worried about are, oh, you failed an attack, that means you don't hit the thing. Or, oh, you failed a save, that means you get negative effects from the result of the save. And really, there's only those two checks. And so those are the only two consequences that can happen as a result of a roll. Cypher has defense and attack checks, but it also has this thing where the target number is obscured by the complicated maths of... Uh, Take the difficulty, multiply it by three. That's the number you need to get on the dice. However, go back to the difficulty number. Now subtract all of your different modifiers. Now that's the the roll on the dice. Are you still keeping up? Do you still remember how to multiply by three?
0: Um, (laughs) Have you thought about your situational modifiers?
2: Yeah, exactly. Maybe you get a plus one because of some reason. Um, What about
0: enable others? Yeah. What what about your assets? Mm. Yeah. It's frustrating. And I I think... No,
2: it reminds me of
6: Pathfinder in which... In, in that there's way too much math, please don't do this to me, I am but a simple gay.
2: Yeah, I I understand where you're coming from, that's obviously <laughs> not how I feel about Pathfinder. Um, <laughs> but uh, Kato, you are in fact, you, you can do math. Yes. Like, it,
6: it doesn't pose a problem for you.
2: I, I... But math takes up time that we could be better could be better spent doing other stuff on the stream. Um, This is true, and I, uh, which is why Pathfinder makes a terrible stream game. Yeah, yeah. Look, look.
3: That that would take. We're not going to have a
2: discussion about Pathfinder.
0: Um, As much as Kato would like that.
2: Uh, so the, the, the key thing is that you what you want is quick resolution so that you can move on to the next decision in the stream because you've got limited amount of time to tell your story. It doesn't matter if you're playing Pathfinder at home with people who like Pathfinder and are your friends. Um, it doesn't matter if you go away and look up a rule for an hour because your friends will like have a couple of drinks, chat about like sport and stuff, but you can't do that when there's a stream going on. So you you need to have clearer rules that are more immediately to hand and more familiar. Um, and that kind of means you need to have a pared-down combat system that doesn't have as much complexity to it, which is obviously a tragic, tragic loss um, to me. Uh, to personally. Kato
0: on the chaise lounge.
2: But I think, um, like, I fundamentally think that most of uh, an RPG stream is about narrative. It's about telling an improvised story in a fun and exciting way uh, and occasionally rolling a die to see whether or not the thing you're trying to do works because that gives some randomness to the story and allows you to be pleasantly surprised by what happens next. Combat in RPG systems is like sport. The, like It, it is, because the, the way that- Would you cr- say
0: it's like cricket?
2: No, 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 no. It should be like uh, a football game. Uh, it should be uh, really obvious to everyone what the objective is And really obvious to everyone who is winning at any given moment. Um, Or, you know, at least you should be able to tell whether or not the thing that is currently happening is good or bad. Um, Like, when you watch sport, you know, like, oh, the soccer player is about to kick the soccer ball towards the soccer goal. I want to know whether or not they get it in. If they get it in, that's good for their team. If they don't, that's bad for their team. Um, Oh, this person has tripped over this other person. That's a penalty. That's bad. And it works because everyone knows what the rules to soccer are. Sorry. Everyone who likes soccer and is going to watch a soccer game knows what the rules (laughs) to soccer are. And things like the offside rule, which nobody understands, um, make (laughs) soccer less good and kind of more frustrating because nobody understands what happens when offside happens. Um, Equally, in cricket, when, for example, you win a game of cricket by... Reference to an obscure set of rules (laughs) that nobody has read for hundreds of years and that wins you the World Series. Um, That's bad because (laughs) none of the people watching it understand how you won. And you should be able to watch a game of sport and understand, oh, you had more points than the other team. That means you win. You want to have really clear stakes in combat in the same way that you do in sport Um, because combat is like a sport. It's a really weird mathematical sport and it's really abstracted but when you are watching combat on a stream you want that sense of the people at home understand what the goal is they understand what we're trying to do they understand there's a time limit and they can see how the field is changing around us they can feel and they understand enough about this combat system to go oh that was bad oh okay the the tide is turning oh it's really tense because if you don't understand how the combat system works you're not going to have that tension if you don't understand how the combat system works and you can't see how close the team are to winning or how bad things are going or that the tide has turned and suddenly it looks like the other team are coming back, um, you're not gonna feel that tension. So you need a nice, clear rule structure that is accessible to people. I know it's not gonna be as accessible as sport because um, most people grow up, grow up watching or playing sports, And they have those rules more immediately to hand. But you want to have something like that. You want to have something that's accessible, where the rules are clear, where the stakes are clear. And you can really, as an audience, you really understand what's happening and that you don't feel just like, uh, they're rolling and there's a bunch of numbers and now someone's dead. And how did that happen? Um, And you particularly don't want the players to feel like that uh, because the players should never be confused about why someone has died ever.
0: Or how close someone is to death.
2: Yeah, yeah. I w- oh boy. Yeah, um, but that's the thing. Like, I don't think Cypher's combat system is fundamentally built to be that simple experience. I don't think any combat system is really. D&D gets away with it and you get stuff like really tense critical role battles where people watching at home who really are into critical role can follow the ebb and flow of a critical role battle because they understand how all the rules work and that enables them to watch it like a sport.
5: Hmm.
2: You're not necessarily ever going to get that with something like d uh, with something that isn't D&D, because D&D is just more familiar to more people, as it has a higher chance of having that recognizability and pushing towards that sport level. Um, but it's really disappointing to me that after kind of three seasons of Cypher, even I couldn't really tell who was winning or how close the guys were to winning in that final battle.
5: Mm.
2: Like, you knew that there were some objectives, like Anton has to come back and we have to do something to stop this portal. But at no point during that final combat, I never felt like at any particular point during that combat, when a player rolled and they succeeded or failed, I knew whether that brought them closer tangibly or pushed them further away. I never got the sense that I knew how far through the game we were. I never was like, oh, that's a goal. Or, oh, that's an own goal. That's terrible. (laughs) I I didn't have that understanding. and And I understand how the cyber combat system works. Um, But it still wasn't clear enough for me to get that sense of stakes and to get um, that sense of tension in the way that I can from even a soccer game, and I don't understand the rules of soccer. Um,
0: Not nearly, apparently.
2: So yeah, I think there's... I don't know if there is a game that does that, and I think it's possibly unfair for me to be like, well, Cypher doesn't do this thing that I don't think any RPG on the market does. Um, But it is still something to consider with streaming, that maybe if we can't make combat that tense, familiar a comfortable sport like experience that we kinda need it to be in order to really get that tension shared between cast, players and audience. Um maybe we need to push more towards those abstract narrative obstacles, um and things where the narrative supports you and helps to give you that sense of how the the play is shifting and how the players are doing uh in the game. Absolutely. And that is why TTRPGs are leg sports.
0: Exactly. Nerds are sport fans.
2: There are a couple of people in this world who I really need to like go to and be like, I hear that you understand how American football works and that you think it is like a thing that has maths in it. Please explain it to me because I would really like to know, because it might help solve RPGs.
4: American football not really, but MLB, like baseball, oh yeah, there's a ton of statistics in there.
2: Yeah, but it's not oh, yeah. it's not really statistics though. It's the like it's the combination of um strategy with uh randomness that I think comes from American football. Uh and we want to like like yeah, cricket is a really good comparison. It's just that cricket is complicated and um
3: ball run. No. Cricket is complicated. No,
2: and silly. no. No, no, no. Cricket is complicated and silly. So is most RPG combat. The important thing is that both cricket and RPG combat don't work very well as a streamable <laughs> 20-minute period of excitement, <laughs> which is what they need to be in order to be effectively utilised as part of live TTRPG experiences.
0: Absolutely. So outside of the delicious crunchy corner, we th- <laughs> <laughs> things actually happened. Qu- quite a few of them, actually. Three whole goddamn seasons of them. And we went pretty much everywhere in space and time at the same time.
6: We did.
3: If everywhere means basically la and a bit on the moon yeah we. Yeah.
6: <laughs> <laughs> that's everywhere to a lot of people craig
4: la is big very very big true but pseudo
0: russia exists
5: you yes. know that
6: pseudo russia and wasn't it sweden, I think yeah. it was sweden. they yes. mentioned sweden like one brackets one time
5: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> but we started very small in a kind of classic cyberpunk setting At a riot. At a riot.
6: Well, no, protest. At a
0: protest. It became a riot. Yes, of
6: course. (laughs) The best kind of protests.
2: Depends. Mm, Yeah, riots are signs of fundamental societal breakdown that are genuinely best avoided if your society has not actually broken down because they like they hurt people. Absolutely. Usually, the protesters more than the police.
0: Yep. And in LA, you
4: get rooftop Koreans. Mm.
2: Yeah, I mean, like, they're a valid form of social protest, and they certainly have their place, but ideally you want parties to come to the table before they become necessary as a bargaining tool.
5: Yeah,
6: I feel dreadfully English. What's that thing you just said? Rooftop
0: Koreans.
2: They're Koreans on rooftops. Rooftops,
4: yes, Koreans on rooftops with ARs defending their shops because the police would not enter that area during the LA riots.
0: AR meaning assault rifle.
4: Yes, I so, was yeah, like, t- how t- are they
6: t- using t- augmented reality? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so dreadfully British.
0: That does bring us nicely back into the story.
6: I was, god, wow. <laughs> okay, I'll just leave now. <laughs> <laughs> I will see myself out.
0: And then we, we go from this three distinct groups of two not knowing each other in the slightest to destroying a Ancient space-time god?
6: That's a pretty neat escalation right there. I'm, I'm, I'm sure with that. <laughs>
0: 36 episodes.
6: So what I really liked about the story and the way the kind of story arc developed is it was quite classic. In the, It starts very small. It starts with like the measures Z the vote and the protests and all of that. And it gets bigger and bigger. And we start so, so small. And we end up with the, the last... The literal last scene is Oya in space talking about folding dimensions with an alien that looks like her grandma. And I don't think we could have exponentially grown any further. And I just, I I like the way that, but it also felt very natural.
0: Mm, For sure.
6: It didn't feel like we were suddenly going from zero to a hundred in the stakes just because we had to raise the stakes for like to have something, to have drama happen. Those stakes were very naturally increased at a uh, quite a natural rate, and I thought it worked very well for the story that they were trying to tell, but it also kept that really nice. E- even when we were fighting kind of like universe-ending um, creatures and uh, enemies, we still had quite a nice, it still felt quite small. Not, not in a bad way, but it, it didn't feel too big to comprehend.
0: The stakes felt personal. Yes. And they felt earned. Yes. Which I think is what you're trying to get to.
6: Yeah, sorry. Uh, word salad today, guys. That's
0: okay. We're, good. we're gonna add some dressing to the salad, and then we're A-okay. So I think we will get to our delightful heroes, and their delightful players. But first I think we should highlight the friends that we made along the way. The real treasure of Galisto 6. <laughs> <laughs> of course I'm serious.
6: Why are you like
0: I mean many, many, many reasons.
6: Okay, can we talk about guests, please? Of course we can talk to about shut guests. You up, mm-hmm. No, please. <laughs> Lauren, please. Talk about your boy. Anything. Please, somebody right. interrupt.
4: So was it the first guest that we had was Mark Muir?
6: I believe it was, yes. yes.
4: Yeah. So pretty in- pretty incredible that Mark Muir decided to stop by and join the game and all that and he was amazing as Koschi the Deathless. I love him. Koshy, Koshy. yep.
6: one thing I love about Kochi is it took so many people so long to cotton on to the fact that he was like that his name comes from Kochi the Deathless like it blew, it blew my mind how long, it took like people three seasons to get that
0: for those who aren't aware <laughs> Kochi the Deathless is a Russian folk tale yeah,
4: let me put it this way uh, I didn't know until after the ending that it was a freaking tale so
6: no you too oh my yeah. gosh <laughs> it might just be that i'm big into folklore but i immediately Maybe. i was like oh that's that's clearly who he's like uh taking inspiration from
1: yeah yeah i picked up on the name too Oh, good! You know, like right away i'm like
4: oh that's cool
1: that's some good inspiration
4: i would say my folklore knowledge is more greek and Fair. Uh, yeah
1: that kind of mythology
4: yeah. and classic of course yep Classic Tolkien stuff. So not so much the Eastern European or Russian stuff, probably because of a language barrier.
6: That's also fair.
4: Yeah,
6: Russian is a bitch.
4: <laughs> yep, but Kostya the Deathless is a shapeshifter. Sometimes either seen as a monster or a human. But there was this thing about maintaining his life through the immortality by the removal of his soul. That was like hidden in a needle inside an egg, in a duck, inside a rabbit. Then locked into an iron or crystal chest. It's wild.
6: Mm-hmm. The Russians go all out, my dude. The OG <laughs>
0: yeah. to Duckin.
4: Uh-huh. <laughs> 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 and there's kind of this, like, Prometheus-like thing where Prince Ivan captures Kosti and then, like, tortures him over a long amount of time.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: And, like, keeps pecking out his liver or something like that. Or, Well, that's Prometheus, but yeah. Yeah, doing things with internal organs.
0: Thing. <laughs> Fun times. If if you want to know more about the, the folktale, uh, the lovely Caitlin and the podcast-owned houses have done an episode on him.
6: Oh, did they? Yes. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. Also, I would um, recommend um, Myths and Legends did an episode or a, a series on Kochi the Deathless, which was really good as well, so we'll link both of those in the description.
0: Yeah, but see that they're not our friends.
6: Yeah, that is true. Support small businesses! <laughs>
0: Uh, but we are not talking about Koshi the Deathless, the folk
4: tale.
6: No, sorry. Laurent, talk about your boy.
4: So Koshi himself, played by Mark Mir, turns out to be some sort of cyborg assassin kind of thing with an affinity for handguns, which in his line of work, maybe not the best. Although he does get quite, quite short range.
0: What do you mean not quite the best? That motherfucker's lethal as hell. Yes, but... Like, the,
4: the, the ranges that he was engaging at, much better would have, like, a long arm. Or at least a submachine gun. Something a with a arm. stock.
0: It's, it's a robot arm. <laughs>
6: <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's where, like, the on, I would say the only way that he would be as accurate as he is with those those pistols would be because he has a robot arm. But, yeah. So... The little bit that we see as far as um, more conventional weapons since we've been so super hero based. Uh, And he keeps coming back in the form of Eric narrating him. But it's been it's a very, very interesting character. Because Mark Mir kind of put this interesting aloofness with a little kind of chewy center that... um, you can see that even though he's supposed to be this merchant of death, I mean he gets along with Anton and is willing to be buddy buddy. Gets along with Anton.
6: <laughs> I reiterate from several episodes back, God, I can't even if I can remember if it was series two or series one, but Anton wants to do the fuck on Cush <laughs> He's so bad. Just
1: just a teensy little bit. Mm-hmm. They're they're their ship, the the ship name hashtag KG Bendy, KG Bendy. <laughs> oh, Listen, I love oh.
6: that. That was so good.
1: Mm-hmm. And I do. Uh, uh, I mentioned this when we first talked about it when he first appeared, and I think he did one other uh, appearances. Cause this is how well he got into the role, even when he was talking out of character. Mark Meer kept. The voice going. If he asked Eric a question, it was in that, that, that Russian, Eastern European accent. He never dropped it.
0: It was delightful.
1: That is that is just great. He just sort of committed to the role. and even Because you would not, notice a lot with regulars. They, they'll take on a certain demeanor when they're hurt but then when they need to ask an out al- character question, or get a clarification or something like that, you can see that the character drop. Never saw that with Mark, and that impressed me a lot. It's almost like he's an actor or something. Yeah. <laughs> but a lot of actors, you know, a role where it's got an act, the you unaccented know, thing, and when they need a clarification director they'll drop it yeah for
0: sure it, it's a it's a massive commitment to the to the bit and I, it was really really appreciated yeah i'm just taking the piss because it's me but yeah no we did see
5: surprised.
0: who is surprised so he did no su- one surprised. no one well i mean some maybe someone maybe like this is their first episode i don't know why this would be someone's first episode
6: can you imagine
0: but we saw him a couple times being delightfully murderous and just all around, charming as hell.
6: May I clarify? Was he the only person on the show apart from Fletcher, Kraus? Uh, was he the only what? So was he the only player that killed a character?
0: He didn't kill a character. He killed no, the, the, the kill, monster boys. Kill,
6: yeah, he killed monsters, but he killed like sidekicks and stuff. He was the only person that killed minions.
2: No.
4: No. Well, no. Mi- minio- no. Maybe. I don't think so.
2: Uh, I mean, so we had a, like, we had a lot of discussion around this, around the time that it was not entirely clear to what extent many of the minions could be considered human. Um, and both Lacey, as driven by Sam, made a deliberate choice to, uh, while they were fighting in the underground base at one point, made a deliberate liquefied. choice to kill Uh, And I think it was only mutants and not humans, um, but that was with the clear and explicit understanding that Lacey considered that to be killing and considered that to be murder, um, despite that. And Hops has also certainly acted in anger to cause death, though whether or not that led directly to death is unclear. So certainly um, other characters have definitely made choices that are comparable with killing, Koshi is certainly the person most comfortable with murder or with large amounts of unrestrained killing uh, as a character, but it's, it is a, something the PCs have grappled with directly themselves. Yeah, for okay, sure. Okay, cool.
0: And, and going from the trigger-happy Kochi to the absolute marshmallow that is Cobalt. <laughs> oh, he's so nice. And I reiterate, again, because it makes me laugh every time, Xander sounds like a Victorian child. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so mad! This is so true! It's, it's a great accent and it's consistent the whole time.
6: But he does sound like a Victorian but he orphan. He does sound like a Victorian child. <laughs> 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 oh, and I'm... I don't
0: want this to be misinterpreted as a bad thing because it am... made me happy.
6: I am appropriately tickled.
0: That Cobalt was a really great addition. The kind of seventh member of the Callisto Six with the kind of side side jump of the energy that he received. Uh and a really great counterbalance to a lot of the members of the team. So obviously we had the connections with Luma, with the graffiti and street art vibes, and also kind of a little bit more connection with the others, mostly from a perspective of fuck the corpse, with his relation to old man Kylan. Yes, that. Well it's not his father, but
6: No, just, he is dad.
0: He is dad. (laughs) Uh, Xander compliments this crew so well. You can always see him kind of watching and making the perfect choices at the perfect times. And it's kind of even way back in Chill Tomorrow Days with Tristan, I want Xander to stay for a long time with this group. And obviously he's got great history and chemistry with Bonnie, and whenever both both of their characters are together, it's just hilarious and Great fun, but I want to see more out of all of those relationships as they grow and we foster some beautiful RPG moments. Also, I'm so jealous. Phasing is like the coolest power. That's fair. Like, okay. you can do so much cool shit with that. They moved a spaceship through a building.
6: Yeah, they, they did do that. Nice.
0: Wild. <gasps>
6: okay, so, while Mitch is having a little breakdown in the corner about how cool phasing is he's literally staring mournfully (laughs) at the computer like wistfully
3: (laughs) is is he is he trying to will himself to phase
6: i maybe (laughs) honestly
3: um
6: let's talk about my disaster son that because the moment he appeared everybody around me was like well this is the one you're going to adopt and they were absolutely (laughs) right (laughs) give me a broken boy who needs fixing who has a heart of gold and i'm sold
0: and is also played by talus and jaffe listen
6: (laughs) it's not my fault he has a type and that also happens to be my type (laughs) take that up with him i shall um i love snaps I think snaps was a very interesting concept as a character from like the start, the fact that he was um, part of the Callisto or imbued with Callisto five energy and that it was much more unstable and that there was all of these problems that obviously had been kind of then quote for want of a better word, perfected by the Callisto six energy. Um, I really like his interaction with the group and his kind of skittishness to start with. I, from a, Scientific point of view, he terrifies me. I am so worried about him all the time. He's basically having a mini-stroke every time he moves. That poor child's brain, oh my god. Only when he's
2: speeding. Mm. And it's slightly more like epilepsy than a stroke, but hey ho.
6: <laughs> he's basically having a seizure every
2: time he moves. Oh yeah, he's 100% basically having a seizure every time he moves. He's I'm got electrical very activity up the wazoo. Strokes are very much not that
5: that's
6: fair science i'm very stressed about my son um uh but there was there were so many interesting choices there were so many things he was so meaty there was so much that you could do with snaps as a concept like even as a kind of very bare bones uh you know you go callisto five super speed star deteriorating three literally three bullet points gives you the, the kind of the backbone and there's so much meat to add to that, not just from Taliesin as a role player and a very experienced role player, but also with his interactions with the group, who, true to form, went, oh no, you're sad, alone, you don't have any friends, you're part of our family now. And he's like, oh, gross. And, oh, okay, fine, I guess. Oh no, this is nice. And they're like, yeah, just embrace it. Um, But... They were like, oh, we're going to protect you. And he's like, wait, what's that? And they're like, just just roll with it. Just roll with it. So, of course, in the same way that I adopted him, all, the family immediately were like, no, you, you're one of us now. We will do everything. And then for him to come back um, through Eric as an evil NPC because he doesn't remember them was so good. Was so good. Oh, my God. I loved it so much. And again, they're like, oh, you're evil now? We'll just have to work harder to be nice to you. (laughs) What the fuck, guys? I love it. I love it. I love him. And I really like where he ended up at the end, um, kind of in the epilogue stuff, which was better, but not 100%. He was still kind of in a weird place. Like, oh, God. Who's the other one? The one? Thank you. I'll was gonna say jelly man and it's not jelly man. <laughs> jelly baby it's not jelly baby it was the other one. Oh, not jelly twin.
0: baby. Not, not jelly baby hashtag not jelly baby
6: um so he, uh, his relationship with duke i thought was fantastic um i just all around he was everything i ever he's everything i love in a character and they made the most interesting from my from my perspective they made the most interesting choices with the character um I also would have liked to see him be more of a villain because I enjoy hurting myself and being sad. But I also am a sucker for happy endings and, like, you know, oh no, we'll just we'll just take care of you aggressively. <laughs> That's also a trope I love. So I just thought, and I am so pleased that Talison made it onto the show because his um, we didn't get to see him on Shield, and it was uh, an NPC slot that I really missed because having him on Doctor Who was absolutely fantastic. So I'm really, really pleased he made it back onto, um, onto Callisto 6, because I think not only is he a fantastic role player and uh, comes to the table with very interesting character concepts, uh, I think he bounces really well off of a lot of the um, the people that we have at the table.
0: Absolutely. I, the thing that I loved about about Snaps, one, Talison got to play a speedster.
6: Oh, yes, also... The, the boy is
0: obsessed with The Flash.
6: Taliesin is probably the only person I know um, who is a bigger fan of Wally West than I am. So... You're
0: scum. Barry Allen, for life.
6: Fuck you! <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is
4: all very surreal, considering that Taliesin has voiced v- Barry Allen. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I know. That's
0: the... <laughs> I, hearing him talk about how excited he was to play The Flash was incredible, and I love it so much. But I think the one thing I want to highlight here is how well eric captured the essence of snaps
6: yes like this is me going on about eric now and how much i love eric and how talented i think eric is as an actor but the way that he seamlessly and this is also but this this also comes from how good he is or how well a, a good a connection he has with his players mm. but how seamlessly he slips into every player character role so he he's um uh Koschi, he's Jaegerd uh Snaps. Um he did he, do did Xion do... as well.
0: Uh I think not as much, but a little bit of Xion.
6: Little sh- definitely Cobalt. Definitely Kobold So yeah. he he's done almost every guest. Um and every N P C he's played as well, but we're particularly thinking about and also I think he did a couple of the PCs at some point. Yeah. Um is how well he plays so he, he's he's kind of playing that character as played by somebody else, mm. which is a very very difficult thing to do, but he does it very very well.
0: Mm. All like the little the mannerisms of snaps, mm-hmm. the hand movements mm-hmm. and the, the the pauses and the sighs was just like mm, delicious. Also, I I love I love a yeah love a villain. Give me more of them, please.
6: Okay, I'm done. We can move on. Now. <laughs> I could sure? talk, I could talk about it for hours but nobody cares N- nobody wants to listen to me talk about how much I love uh snaps for another hour and a half.
1: So then later on like in season 3 uh series 3 we start seeing the aftermath of that C6 dirty bomb that happened at the very end of series 1. We finally get to meet one of the first people who are really affected by that in Xi'an played wonderfully by Aki. It was great to see another non-binary person playing, uh, you know, representing another non-binary character in the world. It was great to see that and had the most interesting power with the, 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 uh, the suggestion and Aki did a great job with it. And Eric picked up on that seeing how that while it could be used for good could they could see the path that it could lead to and it scared them. And that is probably the reason why I love Shion so much is they realized the intense the, the intensity, the the moral pining on using superhuman powers. And it was a, a great thing to see where the other ones sort of embraced it and took on that. Shion decided, I don't want to use this. And it was great because it was that nice offset, that dichotomy, where you have these group of people who are using their powers to help people, and then you had Shion... Who now has these this power that is very strong and could do harm if not used right with the the suggestion power and decided I don't want to do it I, I I'll I'll help you when I can but I'm not gonna do this full time like you guys.
0: Alright, oh, yeah, it was so good.
1: Basically, it's it, they pulled away from being like a core of that inner orbit they became an outer orbit by choice and that i loved about that i think eric was the one who was playing Xion when that decision came about but i'm sure that he had talks with aki on how they would react absolutely the other thing is
4: that Xion is one of the few people who is a fully formed fully functioning adult in this kind of thing <laughs> The only one with their shit together. Those are (laughs) very rare.
1: (laughs) Yes, they adulted very well.
4: Also, yeah, also has a good sense to go, wait a minute. Things are kind of screwed up. Have you had any time to rest?
2: Have have
6: you slept? Have you eaten? Uh Yeah. Does coffee count as food? No! (laughs) It was really nice to see uh, a fully functioning adult come in and immediately go, oh. You need a mum in this group, friend group? Okay, cool. That's me now, I guess. Um, But yeah, I really, I I agree with KC that I really like the idea of somebody discovering they have powers, realising the implications of those powers and then choosing not to use them. I think that was a really interesting character choice. And I was pleased that we got to explore that in a, obviously it was quite a small capacity because of um, Xion being a guest. And I do, it's a difficult concept to play with as a full-time play a character on a show that's fundamentally about using your superpowers, but yeah, I think it's a really interesting concept, and I'm glad we got to explore it.
0: I can feel Kato being upset in the corner.
6: About what?
0: More powerless characters.
2: Yes. (laughs) No, I think there's a a real difference between having power and choosing not to use it, Uh, and I think people who have played role-playing games with me will be sympathetic to the idea that I fundamentally like being powerless and having no power uh and will when given things that make me more powerful and give me more narrative choice go yeah but my character ah. is not going to use this so i have
0: given you magic items it's fine
2: hey
6: has has halwen actually activated the 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 pocket yet no not at all no, oh. no. <laughs> 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 like, Wait, that's
0: a sidetrack
2: sorry it, i was just curious for a second it like if, if it were possible for Howard not to have the pocket without it actually fundamentally ba- breaking the game and the story, Howard would not have the pocket anymore.
0: Bless, bless that poor boy, but we're not talking about no. that. No,
2: sorry, I was just curious. Uh, we're
0: talking about guest characters.
1: All right, yeah, so guest characters and the effects of the dirty bomb from season one. We then got to meet another person who was affected by that C630 bomb. One we've been seeing week after week in little video bits at the beginning of the episodes. Hakeem Sophia, played by Markeia McCarty. It's a quite
3: interesting introduction because all the other guests kind of, uh, please come into the studio, sit down, have a chat. No, we've been seeing uh, Markeia up there at the beginning of every episode for at least, what, since the beginning of season two, was it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it's quite interesting, and especially because it's also sort of fourth wall breaking, because there's no way a news reporter could be covering that stuff in reality. But um, yeah, it's it's nice little recaps, and then we get to meet Sophia for real, and she's on the run, because now she's got superpowers, really, really scary superpowers, which drain the life force from people. It's
0: scary as an objective. Statement there
3: terrifying is a uh, uh, other <laughs> word I would use, uh, horrifying. Um,
1: in many ways, Hakim Sophia was a very lich. yes, yes, but could reverse, which
3: it. would have been a really cool superhero or villain name if they were doing superhero uh. villain names, which they weren't. So
6: that's Mitch's pet peeve, right there, yeah.
1: But, but as opposed to liches. King Sophia could do the opposite and actually imbue life into someone. It was such an interesting choice of power. Yes, it was. I I, I was impressed with that.
3: And I, I'd like, especially, like the little um, scene where had with Eric just exploring a few different possibilities of uh, different timelines where which uh, Sophia could have gone down one where. She got trapped by a squad of bad guys, I guess, and did drain their all their life force from them and decided to go down a bit more villainous route, which would have been quite interesting to do uh but no she she, she was also another one of the perhaps more um had their shit together adults in the uh, room along along with sheon uh which was which was nice a, a nice uh change of pace there. This is the representation
0: we want in our games. <laughs> Functional adults
6: <laughs> with jobs and financial stability. Oh, that's the good <laughs> fantasy right
3: there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and it also provided with a quite an amusing moment when the C6 first met Sophia for real because they all collectively lost their shit at meeting her. Because apparently she'd been in a show called Baby Knows Best and won an Emmy for it. Uh, before becoming a newscaster. And they apparently were all fans of that and a band and a as punk well. Rock singer, yeah. too. So yeah, they were um there was a lot of arm flapping going on in that episode when they when they met her.
6: You say that like there isn't a lot of arm flapping in every episode.
3: Well, there's there's it was a higher <laughs> it's a higher incidence of arm flapping in that particular episode than the background amount of arm flapping that usually happens in a clip.
6: Okay, yeah, I'll take that. I'll take that. Yeah, and she
3: generally kept a a nice level head throughout. I mean, despite all the crazy shit happening around her. I mean, there were those rather creepy clones which were wandering around at the time. Um, and of course she had those new powers That she was having to get used to But she always had that uh, Determination to do the right thing And help LA, her city um, And we also learned that I was trying to undermine the corpse And uh, might Have had a hand in Falsifying the Measure Z referendum
5: <laughs>
3: Potentially a, Potentially a, No, no, Nothing <laughs> proven
0: but... We can neither confirm nor deny this activity
3: Yes we didn't want to dig too far in that, maybe. I did, but anyway. Does
2: that cover all of our guests?
3: It does cover all yeah. of our guests. All yeah. our lovely guests.
2: Okay. I think it's, it's worth saying at this point that the guests were all very different, and that in itself is quite impressive. They all had different ways relating to this, the C6 and the world in general, um, and that the guests as a whole really contributed to making the world seem fuller. A larger Koshi just existing, vaguely confirmed <laughs> that another place existed, which was quite nice. <laughs> uh, but, but more broadly, uh, the guests were such a huge part of going back to the TVD days, um, where basically they just had guests and then kept them forever. Um, mm-hmm. And then through that to Shield and, and c 6, it's always been nice to get a chance to highlight different people than the core cast to get to see. Uh, lots of very sort of interesting alternative interpretations and even if i did uh mock them a little bit for the first three guests all being white guys um obviously aki and makia uh were a nice sea change to that into the later seasons but they they were all fantastic guests who had real fantastic talent um that helped make this world a little bit brighter and a little bit more vibrant and they're really cool that's really sweet Well, there were only five, so if we split them up one by one, one of us had to be like, well, they're all great, guys.
0: (laughs) They're all neat, and we love them. Yeah. Oh, you know what it's time for?
2: Oh, it's time for your boy. My boy. So, we've talked about how cool the guests were. Now we kind of get Mm -hmm. to talk about how cool Eric is, and every character he played, which is basically all of the characters.
3: Everybody 95% of them. Yeah. So the
6: Eric Appreciation Podcast is back. <laughs> Woo!
0: And you know what it's time for? It's time to talk about my boy, the running antagonist throughout the at the show that isn't Fletcher Krause. Because Fletcher Krause is a doo-doo head. <laughs>
6: <laughs> Whatever I was expecting you to call Fletcher Krause, it was not a doo-doo head. And now I really, really, really want to see. <laughs> look on his face when someone like Hector or oh shit what's Hector Anton or any of the c just stare him down this ageless god of like alien destruction and just go you're a doo-doo head <laughs> <laughs> well they were oh amazing unlike were.
0: my boy my son my angel Kylan Krause <laughs> now a pancake now, now a, a, a kind of dead boy but that's not his fault squished it's a little bit his fault i'm not going to lie it's almost entirely his <laughs> fault <laughs> not his fault
1: so you're taking sort of a sorry not sorry take on that
0: yeah it, it, he he did this to himself almost completely he was only slightly nudged in the direction by by the the ageless entity doo-doo head. <laughs> But he looked. He good did look while great, doing. except for that one suit.
6: Yeah, but that's how we knew it wasn't him because he was yeah, dressed exactly. in a really garbage outfit. He
0: was not snappy, or <laughs> nor was he stylish. So, like the Lex Luthor trope, that kind of intelligent, suave, charismatic businessman villain is one of my favorites because you can do a lot with it. And Eric played in that space in such an interesting way of still hitting those familiar notes, but then. The the clone aspect came in, and started undermining ever all of those things that we thought we knew. Which kind of the clones in general just like was like, ah, oh, you know, you 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 think you figured this show out? Guess what? Not everyone is a changeling.
6: I can't believe, Eric. Literally everyone is a changeling to us in a different universe. <laughs>
3: <laughs> uh,
6: it was right there, yeah. and we were so blind.
3: That bastard. Don't make that mistake a second time.
0: Yes, everyone's a changeling. In every show. Forever. Yes. I, I was a little sad that he got superpowered, because I did enjoy the depowered villain using words and money and business acumen and, be- and being just a general white man abusing power. It was really great to see that get come comeuppance. But alas, the doo-doo head took control. Tears. Tears for days. My son. The one thing I really want to highlight with Eric, the way that Eric played Kylan, was the voice. It was just just delightful enough with that undertone of just disgustingly slimy, where you're like, I could hold a conversation with him, but I would really need to take like four showers afterwards. (laughs) (laughs) And even then I'd still feel dirty.
3: Yeah, he he did manage to balance the right amount of Charm, confidence and douchebaggery In that voice
2: <laughs>
0: It was perfect Ah, oh, I, I miss him already
2: It's really interesting because he is not my favourite Villain uh, I think I found him frustrating For quite a lot of C6 And I know uh, like I come on these podcasts and I criticise villains For being bad uh, Which is their entire point <laughs> 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 But I do have media Where I quite like a suave a talkative, smooth villain. But I I found Kylan, I think, ultimately much more frustrating than I found him interesting. I think possibly that's because he was so much a villain that was part of the scenery. Like the setup of Corporate LA and the kind of the whole world um, was built around Kylan um, as kind of a figurehead for that. And so he didn't really add much sort of dimension or depth or much additional discussion for me apart from corporations are bad and having a single white guy being in control of everything is also bad. Surprise. Um, so I was much more into villains like Jerome um, who added the depth of kind of, no, horrific science experiments and twisted found family tropes um, and just straight up poisoning people. And I found... Uh, <laughs> just yeah, Straight
0: up fucking shanking a dude.
4: And more time and money than sense.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah and, and the evils of repeated PhDs Surely the worst crime uh, Eight
0: 8,000 PhDs
2: Just do a postdoc You, you, you dumb person uh,
0: maybe, maybe postdocs were illegal
2: I don't think they are I think he's just so antisocial <laughs> That no one would give him a postdoc job
0: He's just a bit of a dick, wasn't he?
2: Yeah, I think that's that's one of those sort of really interesting things. But he added more depth and more discussion uh, to the world to me than Kylan, who was very much just the whole setting villain. Um, And I think possibly part of the way I feel about Kylan, it it factors into the fact that he kind of got subsumed by Fletcher. Yeah. And like still to this day, it's impossible to say when he was and wasn't acting independent of Fletcher. um, And although he may not have ever been a nice person, he did, with his last moments, essentially try and save the world. Um, and so we really, like, we can't comment on Kylan as an underlying character at all, so much as just being a lot more kind of metaphysical in lots of ways. Whereas Jerome Blair is a tangible human uh, villain who has basically none of the excuses.
0: And a really punchable face.
2: Yeah, sure. But they both have punchable faces. Um, the That's point... Cool. The point is more that where Kylan is a villain where basically no one in the history of humanity has been possessed by an interdimensional alien uh, making clones of them and forcing them to take over the world. But that's Kylan's origin story. That's why he became a villain. He became a villain because he was a clone grown to be evil and grown to be a body, a host, a servant for a big extra dimensional entity. Jerome Blair was a scientist who liked doing bad and unethical science And worked his way through corporate LA until he could get paid to do that, like for large amounts of money, with basically no ethical oversight. And Jerome Blair is a much more plausible villain in that regard. Yes, okay, he he probably won't ever be given access to a magical energy that allows him to create people with superpowers, but doing experiments on people unethically, taking bodies without the consent of the people, uh, of either the, the, the people who died or their families, those are things that happen in real life. Genetic experiments where you alter someone's DNA without the consent of the person involved or without considering the ethical ramifications if it affects gametes and can be passed on to the next generation. Those are things Jerome has done, all of which are tangible, real, present evil in a way that, yes, corporations exist and are bad, but interdimensional entities, as far as I know, don't and aren't.
0: As far as we're aware, no.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, I can't ever be sure, sure. Um, But, like... Jerome has a lot more kind of immediacy for me as a villain because I think um, even though very definitely the sort of pantomime level of villain that Kylan is exists in the world Kylan's origin story and the way that he got to that point will not be the same as those people in this world, in this reality Um, and so he lacks that element of humanity that makes Jerome such a shining villain for me
0: And I think we, we kind of to touch on that a little bit more, saw that in Tales, where it was this kind of very hard to comprehend villain, whose motivations were never really solid. Yeah, Which is kind of why he was a little bit underwhelming for me, because we can't talk glowingly about everything in this show. We do need to be critics.
2: I mean, we really don't. Uh, we're not paid to do this. <laughs> uh, we're a fan podcast. We can be unequivocally nice if we want.
0: If we want. But also, I'm a bastard. So why won't. So rather than talking about the people we don't like, because of their villainy, not because of the characters, we do love all the characters. They have flaws, but we love them. Mm. Let's talk about the loveliest, like, the loveliest helper to the C6, who basically keeps them functioning. I- I'm not sure there would be a C6 without Dr. Patel.
2: It's complicated.
0: <laughs> well, te- yes and no. Super complicated. Uh, oh i I just remembered that there was the time loop yes i just remembered that oh yeah
2: it's complicated
0: oh it's messy dr patel
4: the smartest person in the universe
0: and potentially the multiverse but we cannot confirm that yes the the very humanizing perspective that dr patel gave in these times of superhuman crises was so refreshing and between her and sal and moonlight we had this wonderful little family this little team that we was very easy to take breaks with between these ridiculous world ending events
6: i think as well what i've read <clears throat> for the most part we uh our pcs had pretty decent relationships with their their families um and the the conflict that arose wasn't really due to the superpoweredness or the secrecy we had a couple of moments with uh, Loomis' parents but Loomis' parents are like i'm mad but i still love you um tell us when you're coming home oh my god and obviously the conflict with Cass was far more complicated and much more to do with a very on- with an ongoing history what we saw in Dr Patel was real-world consequences of just how shitty it can be to be involved in this kind of stuff. And, like, you know, her relationship with her wife almost fell apart. Like, the literal moment she knew Fletcher was dead, she booked a plane and went to see her wife. Because, and and I don't know if it had taken them any longer to get there, if that relationship would have survived. It was already under a lot of strain. Um... Because her, well, her wife had thought she was dead for God knows how long. Um, it is, uh, It was really nice to see kind of essentially real-world consequences and interpersonal consequences of being a superhero that you or being involved with superheroes you don't necessarily see in media involved with heroes where either they don't have family, their family don't know and they're trying to keep it a secret and that's the conflict um or their family's totally on board and it's absolutely fine um so i thought this was a really interesting look at actually this shit sucks and even though you're doing the right thing the right thing doesn't necessarily mean that everything's like fine and dandy for you and the right thing can sometimes be very painful and you often have to make sacrifices to the right thing and this is a really interesting look at those kind of sacrifices that don't necessarily come from laying down your life or taking a big hit in a battle, but actually relationships with the Pierre about are probably going to suck. Even if it's the right thing to do to K.H.A.R. I was, I was really, I really, really liked the, the interpersonal conflict we got with Dr. Patel. Cool. Shall we move on to PCs?
0: No, we got, we, we need to let Keto run ah, away. Ah,
2: how could I forget? sail
0: into the sunset.
2: How could I forget? <laughs> So do you remember right just before when I was like, yeah, Kylan sucks and uh, being clones makes him boring and interesting. Uh, take all of that and then reverse it for my boy, Kylan Prime. Um, <laughs> Standing ovation! Old man Kylan, the, the single most fun and best NPC. This is the thing, right? He's not actually my favourite NPC. I don't know who my favourite NPC is. Um, uh, don't ask me and don't make me choose.
0: It's too hard to pick a child.
2: Yeah, because there's so many, and and so many that we, like, literally, we just don't have time to get into how amazing, like, Sal, um, and all of the sort of, like, the medical, like, all of the robots, essentially, and all of, like, the other um, tech-having personalities was, Um, but... I uh, made a ship happen on the strength of my love and dreams. Uh,
0: <laughs> by, by by hoping hard enough.
2: Well, no, by correctly and a f-
0: little bit of witchcraft.
2: No, 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 that no. That
0: is your superpower.
2: I, I'm not a witch, you guys. Like, there's so many other things to accuse me of being. <laughs> Get it right. Uh, but I just liked having two older men at a kind of lonely and difficult point in both of their lives, both kind of isolated, both with lots of concerns about their surrogate children. I felt like there was a really real possibility to make a connection there, plus a huge, huge amount of romantic misconnections potential. Like, oh, this person's invited me to live in his mansion. I don't Ew understand I. I don't understand what fork to use. What do I do? He's offered to pay me money just to live with him.
0: And there was only one bed
2: in imagine somehow inexplicably <laughs> despite other people like I emoji it. dot jpeg no but it's it, it i basically got to imagine a whole series of romance novels entirely based around uh two older men like finding love in the later like in their later years um and that kind of like level of contentment and commitment like that isn't a story we see we don't see a lot of stories about older gays. just at all um and we don't see stories about people who are past sort of hollywood attractiveness finding love um and i i really appreciated a quiet background romance for a couple of adults in this sort of young person centric story about rebellion um because i think in a lot of ways stories about revolutions and stories about huge societal change are stories that people with nothing to lose tell, because you have to have nothing to lose to be willing to risk everything on revolution. Um, and, and those sorts of things are hard and difficult. And, you know, it hurts people a lot when society goes through massive changes. Um, and it's often necessary to do that and to have those revolutions, but it's still something where there's a huge human cost and a huge personal cost to, to committing. As we saw with Dr Patel, um, as, as, as kind of highlighted earlier, and so having a moment of something that was just quiet and soft and nice uh, really boosted me through the, the the back end of the season. I, I really appreciated having that and having those moments.
0: It was just so lovely. Honestly, as soon as you started talking about that ship, I was like, I am so fucking on board.
2: It's just, I, like, yeah, so like all of that soft stuff about how, like, how nice and good it was, but also just, oh, but like, the rom-com potential is so strong. Oh so strong and even getting that confirmation via co being like hey uh, I guess we're related now <laughs> like um, oh, um, you know and putting his foot in his mouth it was, it was so beautiful Um he man.
0: swallowed the whole fucking boot let's be real
2: thank god that that cast is also full of shipping
6: trash and you know the moment that opportunity arose all of them were badgering Eric like it's canon it's canon I don't care it's canon it's canon it's canon Even if it doesn't come up, it's canon.
0: Just Eric turns a corner at the GNS studios and Sam's just there with a fucking lead pipe.
6: It's like, have you considered there was only one bed? (laughs) I'm so happy. Honestly, it's probably the best thing to come out of the epilogue of Callisto 6 was confirmation of our beautiful, beautiful ship.
0: Oh, bless them. Regardless, every NPC that Eric brought to life was wonderful in this show, from, like, the smallest ones to the biggest. I think a special shout-out to Sweet Baby just for the kind of growth and evolution of that character throughout the show.
6: My child.
0: But now we pivot to the other side of the table, to our other children.
6: So, there are six of us and six PCs. Well, well look at that! Isn't That's that just useful. Dandy? Oh,
5: my God.
0: Dang. Wait, there's six of us?
3: No, there's not. Isn't here. that special? Yes, there's definitely six of us.
6: Yes. All right, so let's go around the table. No,
0: there's
3: only three of us. Uh, oh, yeah, or, or four occasionally.
0: Four occasionally,
6: yeah. yeah.
0: What? <laughs> now you've forgotten the joke. What's the
6: joke?
0: That Eric thought there were three of us.
6: What? Yeah. When did that happen? Way, so way back right, in shoulder yeah.
0: Tomorrow Days.
6: Did he he like, said that, uh,
0: I love those three guys.
6: Amazing. And he kept forgetting me. Are your voice is so generically white that he can't tell you apart. Adorable. I
0: think I've got a fairly distinctive voice in this podcast. Yes.
2: You do, but that's because you're Australian. La 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 la. I, I'm sorry, guys. Like, o- <laughs> only two, like, like, no, that doesn't make any sense because most of us have wildly <laughs> different accents because yeah. we're, we're from three different continents. Like, I know. Yeah. No. Eric is just... Eric. Eric's anyway, now that we've reminded yeah. us of our own lore and backstory. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was only three of us. <laughs> the, the deep cut. <laughs>
6: I have ADHD, guys, don't expect me to remember fucking anything. <laughs> I sent Mitch a meme earlier, he was like, I sent you that three hours ago. <laughs> anyway,
2: PCs.
0: P.C.s. Hops. Ah, Hops.
3: Love, love Hops. Played by Bonnie. Had the power of a Sith Lord, apparently, with the the ability to shoot lightning which is pretty fucking cool let's be honest because if you can shoot things with lightning then you don't have to worry about shooting things with fireballs or cold damage it's just wonderfully um it's electric uh, she's <laughs> but she's also what passes for a 22nd century luddite because has very little in the way of technology which probably good because her electric electricity would probably fry a lot of the technology she has on her. I such a I'd
0: never thought about this before, but I wonder what informed what.
6: Yeah, that is very interesting.
0: Whether the luddite nature was informed because Bonnie had already chosen the power for Hops, or whether it was like the character came and then it was a really neat by the by. Ah,
3: oh. Hops had a lot of heart and. She went through a bit of a journey during her free seasons uh, in Callisto Six. She re- reconnected with Anton, and their friendship was great to see, kind of re-blossoming, reconnecting um, after I guess it was some years apart. I don't don't know whether how far they, how long it was, um, but she had that determination to get him back when they lost him on the moon and it's, it was a it's a kind of it's kind of a driving point for a character throughout the final season and of course she died well almost died well kind of did die
0: like eight times yeah it,
3: she was frequently close to death <laughs> the, the grim reaper was on speed dial uh
0: so was florence
3: uh, so was uh florence uh, But... um yeah, she spent a nice time at a train station, uh, waiting for death or maybe not, um, during one particular bad point during it was a it was a, it was an episode long combat thing, wasn't it? Where she
5: mm.
0: Oh and Eric's just like, If you don't res her, she will die. Did... And everyone was just panic stations it's... everywhere. Which is to yeah. be
2: fair, a generous reading of the rules. <laughs>
0: Yes, it was, but that's okay. Uh,
2: it's
3: yeah. It's... I'm glad she didn't die.
0: <laughs> I-, I was quite pleased that she didn't die. Yeah,
3: because that... I think
0: we all were.
3: Yeah. Um,
0: not for lack of trying, as we've already stated.
3: Yes, she definitely seemed to have that um, unfortunate knack of getting herself into issues where the combat kind of just overwhelmed her, and she took on far too many hits. Mm. But uh, and the, f- the final final bit of her art was kind of repairing her uh, repairing the bridge with her mother. The, there's a bit of a disconnect between the two. There, her mother was very much into technology, doing a lot of VR gaming, while Hops was still using what an iPad four or something um, to get by. So yeah, it's nice to see at the end the two reconnecting and. Going on a camping trip and hops going on a um dungeon crawl or whatever gamers use to describe this and you can see MMO
1: raid
0: hashtag gamer slang
3: raid raids yes that's it raids (laughs) I've heard that slang used before uh yes you you can see just how well I'm up to date with the gaming terms
0: yeah you you're you're part of the top clan aren't you Craig
3: yeah. Yeah, yeah. You you know, you know me. All, all all about the gaming raids
0: and the WoW. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that was impressive, Craig.
5: Yeah.
0: I think uh Flawless. on top of Hops being such a like interesting character in the journey she went through, uh we also we also have to highlight Bonnie who like stood up from a roleplay perspective in in this show. We had some like quite emotional moments during Shiloh's tomorrow, but Bonnie was given this kind of platform to work with, especially when we had the kind of the flashback episode with her and her father, as she was slowly dying, and just the way that she was able to interact with all these characters and have these wonderful emotional moments. I'm like, ah, oh, love the Bonnie. Yeah,
3: but Bonnie definitely blossomed as an uh, as a role player during Callisto six, more so than it, uh, from Shield
0: of Tomorrow. Absolutely. So then we have our delightful stretchy boy. Unfortunately, we only had two seasons, or two full seasons, of, of Hector because of scheduling in season three. But we did see him, at the end, making a triumphant return two seconds after he left, <laughs> asking what the fuck happened. <laughs> which was delightful. But I, I really love what Hector did with Anton. Because we had five characters who essentially either couldn't give less of a fuck about the corpse, or wanted the corpse gone, and then someone who was so ingratiated with that life, and that lifestyle, that he had to reconcile so much upon learning the truth, and joining this group. And Anton portrayed that in such a like honest way, and allowed that character to not be the stick in the mud of the group, that he could have become very easily. And On top of that, with Anton and stretching as a power, is such this, like, niche thing. Because you basically, he could look to his left and see someone who could control space-time. Look to his right and see someone who could control all of technology in the world at once. And he can, you know, punch a dude across the street.
2: Mm, And barely that.
0: (laughs) And barely that. And so there was this kind of vast power scale difference between them. That Anton never really let be a thing. He was always still useful, both with his powers and without them. Anton the man versus Anton the stretchy man both had their wonderful and unique uses that Hector really brought to the table. And from a Hector perspective, watching him take a step back and instead of being the, the leader, be setting up everyone else... So he's being that the setter like you are in volleyball, just being like, okay, you get a spike, you get a spike, you get a spike. Just, it's so interesting to watch him work. And it's kind of the years of improv and years of role-playing in front of a camera that really shows this very talented actor performing at his best. And I was quite sad we didn't get him for the rest of the first season three, but such is life with being successful. God damn it Hector, you successful bastard.
2: Uh I have been fairly not subtle about how much <laughs> I love Oya. Uh I just uh genuinely, I think Oya represents a person whose life and experiences are so utterly unlike mine that I really valued being able to spend time with her to get To know her as a person and to see kind of how, who she was, where she'd come from, informed the way she interacted with the world, the way she interacted with her powers, um, was all built out of this incredible background. I would have loved to get um, more from Oya's spirituality if we'd seen more kind of later on, um, because you can tell that that's part of her whole aesthetic and her vibe and how she interacts with her powers comes from her faith and um that she is so incredibly grounded in a real world community and a real world history um is genuinely so incredible and she was such a fantastic sort of fulcrum around which the whole story could turn with her growing understanding and capacity um with her own powers and kind of interacting with the timelines Uh, And she was ultimately the character that got the Martinez decision. Uh, At the end of the show, was given the choice about what to do and how to fix the world. And again, speaking to the fundamental goodness of this group and the way that they see humanity and the goals that they have for humanity, again made a choice that was not the destructive and easy one, but instead was hard and took more out of her and more of her life and made things better cosmically. Um, But also gave her an incredible culpability cosmically because the choices that she made killed people and unwrote realities and unmade worlds and choices um, and rewrote worlds and choices. And I would have loved to see with another season how that weighed on her and how her growth into this cosmic scale being affected this young woman who was already so compassionate and thoughtful and so careful and and had these amazing conversations with sweet baby about her own bias and prejudice Uh, and so clearly was so deserving of if anyone is deserving of that power and that level of control of the universe someone who was able to go i am uncomfortable with you and i think this is why and to talk through her own issues and recognize her own biases and where they come from And the very sort of realistic and sensible place that they come from and and why they are a part of who she is, but also to work to move beyond them and to accept people for who they are without kind of having that level of prejudice or having that fear um, was just so incredible. And, And Oya is the character I most look at and go, I want to know more from you. I want to see these conversations happen again. I want to see how you're moving through the universe changes it in across the whole of your life because you were such a rich and deeply deeply felt character from elisa that i really appreciated
0: i can't add to that That was like oya was the dopest
2: right
1: yeah i can't add to that either you pretty much nailed it right (laughs) on the head
2: i just i just i just love oya you guys
0: and Again, we, we mentioned this at the end of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the start, end of Season 1 and the end of Season 2, but just Elisa has come leaps and bounds and she's always growing, always learning. And from her history of improv and continuing with improv into the RPG space and now having done RPGs for over two years professionally, we're seeing this beautiful combination of a performer. And I just, I'm excited to see what we get out of a laser in the future.
4: Beyond that, the next really pivotal person to this whole campaign is Luma. For, as was revealed in season three, without, or was it season two? T- time is weird. Anyways, in this, yeah, Time is weird. And it was not Dr. Patel, as we had originally thought, who had unleashed the C6 power. But it was Luma, disguised as Dr. Patel. That changeling. Mm-hmm. But Luma was one of those people who kind of took care of the group before Xion had, like, the organizational stuff. As far as uh, everything, like, Luma's always the one who was taking care of Lacey and generating food and getting snacks ready and making, making things and... and Setting things aside. She made costumes and things like that for people. And turned into this, had this wonderful story with Cass. Which was great and beautiful. And her own story was very, very heartbreaking with the thing with Hawk. And the family that she has is like that typical Italian family that is incredibly, like, both annoying and amazing at the same time. And I think of the two of the all the pairs that we had with uh, Hops and Anton, Cass and Oya, Luma and Lacy. Uh, Luma and Lacey are probably the two most connected, and you could see that every single time, with Luma always constantly checking in on Lacy um, throughout the entire the entire time, as Lacey was going on their journey from human to techno god. <laughs> it just Just yeah, (laughs)
0: unknowable, unstoppable being. Yep.
4: And while Luma's powers on the surface initially weren't very, didn't seem very offensive in nature, by the end, her ability to control uh, enemies and lock down enemies was crucial at the end for them being able to succeed.
0: I don't know the know, the, the thing for me, like, the most interesting ability that Luma had, had nothing to do with her powers. It was just Luma's ability to mechanically tell everyone how great they are and to do good things really well. But that was, like, the culmination of Luma in a mechanic.
5: Mm-hmm. This
0: beautiful support to everyone. I just love the way that it played out. Oh.
1: And then we have Cass, played wonderfully by Amy Dowan. That, that that sort of punk rebel that Lacey wanted to be, I would, yeah, you know, want to be a punk rebel like Cass, but also had that vulnerability, and it could have been played very one note, hard as nails, not letting anyone in, type punk character, f the corpse, so on and so forth. But Amy played it so well that there were flaws, there were chinks in that armor and Cass let people in particularly luma because with uh, outside of oya Cass really didn't have anybody growing up because we know that for some reason her mother was always gone we don't know whatever happened to the father so there was no family connection there except for oya that best friend but then with everything happening with the six, Cass found that new family, and opened up, and eventually found love with Luma, and it was a great progression, wonderful growth as well as the stun. But we also learned about Uncle Charlie later on, and it that probably brought me one of the best lines from Cass. Where Cass said to Uncle Charlie because of Uncle Charlie being transgender and having surgeries and, and having the scars being visible from the surgeries. But Cass was referencing more internal than external when Cass said to Uncle Charlie, You made me love my scars. That was, that is probably one of the big takeaways from that because Cass is like, yes, I'm flawed, I'm not perfect, we're all not perfect, but we have to love who we are before we can open up to others. And, of course, Amy getting to to, to basically pull on the whole Captain, you know, the Captain Marvel to Carol Danvers thing later on in Season 3, you know, that was a big thing for Amy to, to really latch on to and have fun with.
0: Oh, for sure. I, I think for me, and um, this is just, because Amy is so good at making moments. Yes. And it's, she has this
1: uncanny knack to just... Find that little, you know, taking that, that, that stone and turning it that diamond in the rough, mm. Finding that moment and shining it up. Uh, it's,
0: it is a beautiful thing that I will never, never, ever be sick of. And just very quickly, I want to step back. Because we didn't say how amazing Gina is. Because Gina's amazing. Oh, yeah. Gina is amazing. Oh, my God.
4: Gina also had a very important role as far as forming part of the environment
0: with Raph City. Oh, for sure. And just the way that we had Gina creating alongside of uh, Sam and Eric with the setting. And also just, one, Gina's costumes. (laughs) So good. Holy shit. And just the way that Gina played someone tragically in love with someone else with, like, the smiling and the looking. And I'm just like, oh, no, I know exactly how this this is and how this feels. This is terrible, but also beautiful. It was perfect.
6: Okay. Um, So, we all know how much I love Lacey. I spent 15 minutes on our final episode of season three sobbing about it, literally. Um, Lacey was very special. From a character perspective, I think it was a very interesting uh, development going from uh, someone just who, like, you know, had the ability to control tech to someone who was so engrossed in the tech that they had kind of nowhere else to go. Um, All of the interactions with Tails in the dark. There were so many moral quandaries, so many interesting questions to come out of Lacey about humanity and what things are right and what things are easy and uh, sentience of AI and all of those kind of very interesting questions. But fundamentally, I think why I love Lacey so much is trans and disabled visibility and the unapologetic celebration of both of those things like it's it's a weird like the trans joy there's so much about callisto 6 and shield and doctor who that is amazing for for trans joy uh like we've got somebody in uh the fan server at the moment who chose their new name um is and it's moonlight for uh obviously uh i've literally forgotten Moonlight's original name. Oniko. 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 Thank you. I was like, it's good. It doesn't
5: matter.
6: Exactly. They're Moonlight in my head now. But, um, you know, for for, for Oniko's new name, Moonlight, and we have somebody else who named themselves for Rue from Shield of Tomorrow. And that's really, really important. And there are a lot... Obviously, there are problems that come with being trans, but a lot of those are to do with not being able to fully explore and celebrate your identity it's a very difficult line to tread to celebrate people with disabilities and celebrate the diversity that comes with disability and neurodivergence and the different things that can come of that and you know particularly with neurodivergence it's not broken just different in that people's brains work differently and um you know lots of things that uh Things happen that wouldn't necessarily happen without those neurodivergences. But like disability, again, it's it's difficult to be kind of celebratory, but also acknowledge the fact that actually a lot of the time being disabled fucking sucks. And I really love that there were moments with Lacey particularly going from being in the dark or in the data stream to coming back out of that where that was a reality that was kind of acknowledged Particularly, like in the very last episode before um Lacey discorporated, I think Sam said something like can I still feel my meat body and it was and the movements they made when they came out of um honey baby and then had to go into their chair were painful and clunky and it was a very real portrayal of a very real lot of people and things like uh dodge the biped when we uh had the mag boarding and being lost in a crowd in a wheelchair and all of these things but also just unapologetic unapologetic visibility of a disabled npc or of a disabled pc because you think back to um doctor who roko wasn't disabled um and a lot of people i sam has said this before is a lot of people didn't even know sam was disabled until um they saw other shows where sam or photos even where sam was in their wheelchair and rue i loved i really loved rue but again there was rue didn't feel quite as personal when it came to particularly disability and there was something about lacy kind of being like no i'm 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 disabled this is part of my Obviously, it was very much a part of Rue's identity, too, but it didn't feel quite as close to home in the way that
2: Lacey did. Can I offer, there's no one way to be disabled, and I think Sam has been very carefully exploring lots of different aspects of disability. Yeah. Um, so I think I can completely understand why Rue and Lacey would feel different, and and, and that you can say that one of them spoke to you a lot more personally than the other because they are definitely very different people with very different relationships to their bodies and very different relationships to disability in lots of ways.
6: Yes. And I'm sure there are people that are probably the other way around. But Lacey felt very personal and I I just loved the incorporation of all of those kind of differences into... The character, their personality uh, and how everybody around them for the most part was just kind of really accepting and it was just great and wonderful and was very refreshing to see and enjoy and consume media that didn't actively suck for disabled people. obviously there are there are ways you can and obviously I like you think about rue versus Nash there are ways that you can do taste quote for want of a better term tasteful ableism where you can you can explore it as a context as a concept and as a bad thing without falling into pitfalls and tropes and making the same old tired boring mistakes and this is something that of eric as a gm and sam as a player but also all of the players in general are very very good at is exploring these kind of Bad things or discriminate discriminatory kind of um experiences in ways that don't necessarily feel uh tropy or overhashed or kind of boring or those those kinds of things but so on a personal level, I just loved Lacey in every respect, but if we kind of go from a kind of critical or um objective perspective um i I really, really love the concept that of a character kind of, again, for want of a better term, outgrowing the rest of the group just because of the way that their power just grows so exponentially um, in ways no one really predicted and just being like, oh shit, I've left. Uh, They're all very powerful, but I am just... It's a bit like, because kind of Oya and Lacey ended up on this very weird level of we've seen galaxies, we've seen universes, and we can't really come back from that.
1: Very, very Dr. Manhattan type of level that these people can literally do whatever they want. And it put them so far over even their own colleagues that it brought out an interesting dilemma. How do you proceed?
6: Yes. So I, I really... I really liked Lacey's character arc. I really liked where they started and where they went and how they ended. Um, And the ending was very bittersweet, but there was so much joy in it. And every moment felt really earned in a way that is quite difficult with a lot of media. And again, the progression felt natural and it didn't feel like everything was going to zero, from zero to a hundred with no kind of intermediate. Everything kind of progressed at, in a a really um kind of personal and uh natural way and i was i just i love everything sam does but i love Lacey especially and i i really enjoy the it was a very it was a very good take on the uh machines are better than people kind of trope that actually felt very human and didn't feel again overhashed or kind of misunderstood um and i think sam was absolutely the right person to kind of tackle that kind of thing and i'm just i just love lacy you guys
0: As do we all
1: We do yeah <laughs> We love all of the every every one of these characters and people every one of We we love people. each and every one of them but i think we should start wrapping this up here so, let's get into some final thoughts on the series overall. You know, there was some great things that happened, but there was some other things that didn't so what what was one thing we'll, we'll try to we'll keep it short here one thing that you wanted to happen but wound up not happening what's what's start off with kato kato what are you what was the one thing that you wish he did more on?
2: Uh, So to do the surprise when I won, mine is mechanical. Uh, (laughs) Cypher actually has a really nice... Shush. Uh, (laughs) A really nice section. It's in page 211 of the original Cypher core book. I don't know where it is in the new book. Um, It's called cooperative actions. So these are optional rules where characters can work together to get mechanical advantages in combat, usually, but at other times. Um, So obviously we've talked about helping... Uh, which they used a lot, but there's other sort of complementary actions, like if you're doing something and it seems like your action might help someone else do something, they should get a plus two bonus to the roll. Um, there's stuff like distracting, drawing an attack, taking an attack from another player, um, which we kind of got to see in the finale, but at that stage it was so late in the game uh, we couldn't actually work through the the original kind of mechanics. But there's also something um, called the old one, two, three, which is where if three or more characters attack the same enemy each successive ca- like each character gets a plus 1 bonus because three of them are all attack because three people are all attacking the same character essentially and obviously that happened a lot because we had lots of kind of 1 versus 6 combats um and there's other stuff like high and low which is where if a ranged melee attack happen at the same time it can cause disadvantage to the foe and stuff like that where you get into the kind of fastball special mechanics of superheroes where you get combo powers um or combo power use we saw a little bit of synergistic power use during the big set piece rescue missions that they had to do uh but less of that in the combat and given that cypher kind of supports mechanically doing that kind of thing and you know if they really wanted to they could have said all right well when uh hops and Cass come at someone from two different sides and then anton swings a punch in from far away uh they could have named an attack like that, or they could have named uh, you know, cast throwing Gina sorry, cast throwing Luma at some, someone if they wanted to, or any given kind of mode of attack. Um, so having those kind of named uh combat moves with the specific mechanics that Cypher supports, I would have really liked to see. That would have been cool.
0: Yeah, for sure. But alas.
2: Yeah, I mean, also I may be the only person in the, in the history of ever that's read the entire cypher rule book and been like, ooh, a mechanic. <laughs> Uh, so that's just how I roll. I'm sorry. Wow. Woo.
0: Continuing on the circle. Nine nine nine.
2: Hello. I just witnessed a fucking murder. <laughs> I, I mean, several of you have said at various points. I'm sorry, Kato, but I just don't understand how cipher works. So I think on this podcast, I'm very much carrying the. I read. The I book still
6: don't. Banner. I am fucking, fucking understand idea. how cipher works. <laughs> I've literally read the rules and went. Well, that's I've uh, fucking what? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I understand <laughs> how it works. Good for cool. you.
6: Congratulations, you want a fucking Mel. <laughs> you want a cookie? I would
0: love a cookie. Actually, I'm uh, hungry. Oh
3: God, sorry, yeah, I cookie would be you.
0: delicious. Look what you've done. Damn it! I'm hungry now. Now you want cookies, don't you?
6: I always, baby, I always want cookies. That's fair. Fucking so, love biscuits.
0: Moving around the circle to LT.
4: So there is this big promotional build-up before we had our first episode of Callisto 6 about Measure Z and Mayor, uh, Mayor Gao Peng. And yet, we never saw Mayor Galpang. At all. No. Just, just mentions. I, I think we could have. <laughs> we could have, yeah. And Measure Z kind of was something that was there, but was really more of a MacGuffin than anything else. The other thing I was missing Was someone high up in LAPD, just to see what would have happened.
0: It it would have been nice to have a Jim Gordon. Yep. But I think because, like, it would have been really hard because of the fact that LAPD only just got jurisdiction back. Yeah.
2: We did see in one episode, I think, uh, an address by the mayor that also featured the chief commissioner of police. Um, who sounded really cool and interesting, and I can remember oh, yeah. absolutely nothing about them <laughs> apart from I went, that person sounds cool and interesting. So I think mm-hmm. there was definitely groundwork being laid for more of that kind of stuff and more kind of C six takes on, you know, the police versus superhero relationship and dynamic. Uh, but yeah, I, I totally agree. It would have been really cool to explore that in the episode. Explored
3: side quest. Yeah,
0: they were they were just busy, you know, Dealing a spaceship and going to the moon. Mm-hmm. It happens. they also kind of
4: yeah they kind of missed it was that bus that kind of stopped and just went on very very quickly
0: Mm. oh well that's kind of what happens in rpgs you can set up things that just never get explored by players Mm -hmm. throughout three seasons of of television yeah you're like please there is a delightful present waiting on the bed please open it Mm -hmm. and then the players just take pick up a peasant
6: Throw
2: in the i have no idea what you're talking about <laughs> wow
6: that sounds really like personal are you okay
0: ah <laughs> uh, no it's just that uh, every gm has this feeling justice will
2: never be served <laughs>
0: never. <laughs> that cool npc that you waved to and then never spoke to
2: do you remember that time <laughs> when you gave me you gave um tilda a secret message um, that oh, was yeah. no, that was meant to lead to like a whole underground rebellion thing, and then Tilda, because she's incredibly <laughs> highly trained in operational security, ate the message to destroy it, so there was no proof that she'd been interacting with rebels. And it it turned out that it was like an electric message, and so therefore was the way they were planning to continue to communicate with her, which she had no way of knowing. <laughs> um, <sighs> that incredible. was
0: fun. Doctor Who is a fun system, by the way whoever has if people haven't played she didn't
2: it. know she was destroying her only way of contacting those people i literally
6: just love like i i can't remember this bit like like verbatim what happened but just the cognitive dissonance of being like oh wow a really cool
2: message in case just like i eat it oh no <laughs> I, I just, no no! it
0: took me a second i'm like what it, I,
2: I, I read it i was like cool people who were trying to lure me into doing crimes and possibly the doctor, and that worries me. I will destroy this message in case we are captured by the reasonably suspected evil person that runs this planet. And I don't want to be a liability in the operational security when they're like, why do you have this message from the rebels in your pocket? So I destroyed it the only way I could, which was by eating it. And then Mitch was like, so that message in your pocket vibrates, like, an hour later, and I was like, it doesn't, though, because I ate that ages ago to destroy it because because i was trained and I was like, in oh, operational yes. security
0: <laughs> For anyone who who is has any interest in this there is a, a podcast of this it's very bad quality and it's like three hours an episode but it was fun uh it's, happy memories I'll, happy memories and i'll put uh i'll make sure that there is a link to it in the show notes
2: just of that episode if you can find it
0: oh i don't remember which episode it was it was um wait it oh
2: was Anyway, it was that yeah
0: yeah, 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 I should be able to find that. sorry
2: about all the inside baseball, but the point is that the reason Mitch is so better is that I keep playing games with him, and I uh have a pain
0: <laughs> <laughs> a lovely pain, yeah, what a pain yeah.
6: sighs and stares into the office camera <laughs>
0: <laughs> Oh, so moving on, I've said it like. A dozen times at this point I just really wanted some secret identities
6: Yeah, they would have been so cool
0: And like, I have personally already made a list I'm not going to get into that list Because it will just break my heart even more
6: <laughs> You're going to tell us them now, aren't no, you? No, I'm going to have not? some restraint
2: Are you? Okay
3: You, right. you show restraint, really
0: Fuck <laughs> off
2: Thank you, Craig <laughs> So Mitch, what Good did job. you most want to see That we didn't actually get to in Clister 6?
0: I mean, I just said that.
2: Cool. Did you? Sorry, I just, I just was like, we need to stop doing things, and I just picked up and was like, right, move on.
0: <laughs> move on.
2: Move back. Do it again, <laughs> and then we can cut it out. Uh.
0: Exactly. <laughs> Fucking, I, uh, I'm feeling very underappreciated <laughs> right now.
2: No, we're just appreciating like the you, the amount you deserve. So, KC, what did you most want? To... <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, I think we've really touched on it before multiple times where we know very little of the world outside of Los Angeles twenty one, nineteen, twenty one, twenty. Does America exist? Yeah, what's going on with America is similar things going on in other cities. All we knew is Los Angeles, Sweden, and... Possibly some of Russia-Soviet states. It's like pseudo-Russia. Russia. It's, it's Russia? <laughs>
0: <laughs> like, yeah. With like six question marks.
1: Yeah, because we don't... I wish they would have really sort of expanded out more. Oh, and the moon. Oh,
0: yes, the moon is and also the moon. A
6: moon is a, The moon is a country now. <laughs> I
0: deliberately made a character for this
1: one. Well, I mean, that's all we know about any other locations. Oh, I mean, it was so frustrating yeah, they really went outside of that Los Angeles as good of the moon. Why not find out what's going on in New York? what's going on in miami it 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 just I wish we would have had a lot more world building I wish it would have sort of expanded out, but I think because they only got three seasons, I think maybe if we would if it would be continuing it would have continued on for season four after resolving that but it 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 came to a good end, I will say that. But I just wish we could have learned more about the overall world as opposed to that microcosm that was Los Angeles. Absolutely. Craig?
3: I would have liked to have seen more superpowered villains. Yeah, I agree with that. We did get some, of course, um, but there were often a few repeats in there. I, I don't know how many times we... He saw Jerome Blair face off against the Calisto like Six, but he was he was taken down eventually, twice, quite far down. A few times, in fact, yes, yes. Uh, but it would have been nice to see uh, more supervillains with different power sets, more team teams of villains, and how they use their powers creatively. It would have been quite fun to see that kind of interaction between that and the Callisto 6. Of course, I can understand why we didn't necessarily go into that, because time constraints and stuff at the show did kind of narrow the opportunity to run into groups of super villains. But it would have been good to see
6: more of them. And on the complete opposite end of that, I would have loved more Lex Luthor-type villains. Um, I really like I love the story that we got, and I I like it, but I am a sucker for uh, villains that are villains because they are terrible people. And I would have loved to see more uh, garbage human villains as opposed to, like, alien conspiracy. So I'm, like, on the complete opposite end of the spectrum to Craig. I would have absolutely loved more villains that were not superpowered. I would have loved to see more with the Four Horsemen the four heads of the corpse and i kind of wish they hadn't all been controlled by fletcher kraus because that was kind of predictable but i mean a lot of cyberpunk is fairly pre- and that's not their fault but i would i it would have been really interesting to explore kind of more this like corporate greed aspect of it and like the greed like the villainous capitalism guys i would have loved to see more of that and like love to see more of like like kato was talking about like jerome doing these awful like science, eugenic, shitty, garbage stuff, and more, more kind of down that route. Hmm. I'd have loved to see like evil politicians that they have to kind of take down empires of, like more kind of like, um, with kind of weird supernatural elements. So think like Fisk in um, Spider Verse. That's kind of like you know, Fisk himself doesn't have superpowers. What are you? Uh,
0: just gonna leave that.
6: No, what?
0: Oh, Kingpin has like super strength. Wait, most what? of Wait,
6: what? Yeah, but it's not like a pass. Like it's he's not- enormous. Yeah, but he's just he's just because he's huge and he <laughs> works out. It's not like necessarily because he's been gifted with super strength through some kind of supernatural means. Mm. He's just a big fucking dude.
0: It also depends on the fisk context.
6: That that uh, no, but like re- like you know that that's kind of more of what I would have liked yeah, to yeah, see sure. is villains that have lots of money and are garbage people that. I, uh, exploit other people and need to be stopped.
2: Yes? I was going to say, I think that your idea, like yours and Craig's kind of wants aren't necessarily as incompatible as you think because, yeah. like, there's quite a lot, you know, most supervillains are not Lex Luthor. Most supervillains are superpowered people struggling to live in a world that hates and fears them or, you know, uh, who have interesting dynamic reasons for why they are how they are that come from very human places. Um, so we have a lot this of cosmic evil, um, but it's very possible to overlap more more, at, and more diverse superpowers with a range of more and more diverse villains. Like, you can have villains who yeah. are stealing to survive or uh, are setting fires but for revenge or, you know, have a Mr. Freeze-style, I lost my wife and it's tragic backstory. Yeah. Um, rather than just having the big cosmic, well, I'm evil and I want to destroy humanity because I'm an alien and my, you know, it's it's so kind of beyond your tiny minds to really comprehend what's what I'm about. We can have villains with superpowers that still are human and still come yes. from human places. Those, the, those kind of aspects of ourselves, the greed, um, the anger, they're not incompatible with having superpowers. It's just scaling it down a little bit from, you know, Alien stakes. Yeah, yeah. I'll take that.
0: More complex human villains. Absolutely. So moving away from things we wanted, moving into things that we adored. So we're going to go around again with our favorite moment or favorite scene from the entirety of the show.
2: So I have been really transparent that this is Oya and Sweet Baby's moment uh, where they talk about uh, AI and... Decision making and question, we have big questions about Sweet Baby's potential personhood and whether or not Sweet Baby evaluates decisions like a human might or like a consciousness might or whether or not Sweet Baby makes decisions like an AI might with the programmed biases of an AI that's built in a racist world um, that is very explicitly biased against human, uh, against particular subsets of humanity. Uh, I think it is one of the most fantastic and fascinating conversations, I think. Um, there is so much depth to that in sort of parallels between AI that are programmed on racist algorithms and humans that are brought up with racist stereotypes and the way that it, you know, I'm a white person who was raised in a world where white people are considered broadly to be better and I definitely encountered racist stereotypes in my childhood and I, I still encounter them now and it is an active work and an active effort on my part and on the part of every white person to go this is a negative stereotype perpetrated by people who benefit from this and benefit from uh making me suspicious of people whose skin is a different color to me or you know making me believe that subsections of the population are manipulating it for some unknown cause these are huge problems with our world with humans and they are just as much problems with robots and the algorithms that we create and the ai that we create and i think it touched on so many beautiful aspects of ethics, of the question of what a soul or a consciousness is, um, and s- was so grounded in problems we are having right now in twenty twenty, in twenty nineteen. I don't live in the future, uh, but you know, it was it was such a fantastic example of the way that sci fi is meant to work, which is that it should be a reflection of the problems of the society that is creating the story, um, and it it's just straight up one of the the best moments in fiction i've seen this year it's it's absolutely fantastic and um both eliza and eric absolutely killed that scene
1: for me my probably my favorite moment came out of the the conversation with Cass and uncle charlie that relationship i spoke about it earlier so there's not much i'm going to really add to this except it, it just felt very real Outside of the fantastical elements where, you know, like Cass tossing the uh, refrigerator out the over the balcony into the garbage. But it was just, we got to see a, a family member of Cass's that wasn't just blowing her off. That was actually there for her when her own parents weren't there. And I thought that was a really good episode because that was one of the... Uh, Season 2. Spotlight episodes. So it was nice to see. More of Cass. And then that's when Cass. Really started opening up. A lot more. I mean the the characters started to. Before that. But after that situation. with, With Uncle Charlie. That episode. It really helped. Develop the character a lot more.
3: My favorite moment. Was something entirely fucking stupid? Mag in, uh, in the hey, real world. It's the
0: dopest shit. It is. It, it is dope. Oh, It's it's cool. Hell, it's man. brilliant.
3: I lo- I loved it. In real world, of course, it's stupid because you're flying along a train track with a train coming much faster than you at incredibly dangerous speeds. And if you fall off, you're definitely going to the hospital. I hope you've got insurance with Cassian. But it is. It's cool. It's a great. It's a great scene. A great setup with um. Eric doing all the narration and uh, with uh, Luma competing there, and it's a it's a pretty cool scene. And yeah, stupid though, but in such a wonderful way.
2: Can I quickly hop in to go? Eric improvised the mechanics for that. The mechanics for that are amazing. Uh, he did a really good job on the fly, using Cipher to its best advantage to come up with such high stakes, but um, such a beautiful sort of fluid game. I straight up
0: it was dope as hell
2: yeah really impressive
0: so for me it's the moment when moonlight picked her name and it's for a lot of reasons and some of that is kind of digs into the kind of found family aspect of z6 that resonates with me really strongly and some of it is relating light finding identity and self which is something that uh again, resonates really strongly with me as, like, someone who has spent a long time trying to figure out who the fuck they are, as with most people. But the biggest thing for me is, and it's it it wasn't perfect, and it's nothing ever is, uh, the way that it was framed around sign language, and how the phenomena of Eric doesn't know sign language, Sam knows some sign language, I'm not sure exactly of the level of proficiency they have, but I I could see it, if that makes sense. This excited moonlight expressing themselves in a beautiful language. If you've not seen sign language speakers, like, nat- like not native, but natural... L- yes, native. Fluid... It is native?
2: Yeah, because um, there's a deaf community, and the deaf community raises uh, ASL and BSL first using... Or okay, cool. I, I just no, no, no. So, like, there, there are native sign speakers, and there are there are speakers who are yeah. second language from English, usually.
0: That makes no sense. worries. I just wasn't sure of the right the right term. Native sign language speakers speaking expressively and excitedly is a fascinating thing to watch. The way that uh, hands and facial expressions, and some some sign language speakers also mouth the words they're they're speaking at the same time, and. All of that, this culmination of this beautiful small moment in someone's life of them taking control and wanting to exist, it just, it wrecked me. And Eric did such a good job with it. Yeah, I don't I, oh, know. Very emotional thinking about that.
4: On a lighter note, my favorite moment was, Hi, I'm Florence, the medical
0: bot! <sighs> <laughs> just, <laughs> I love that Craig just dies a little every time.
4: <laughs> just the fact that Eric just made it always volume on ten. There's no way to uh, lower the volume, and the the attitude that Florence, the medical bot, was given was just really really fun. Like I, I kind of love watching in Star Wars just to see how the droids are and how the droid personalities are and Florence the medical bot just take that little thing of fun little computer robot thingy that has a, a kind of distinct personality but may not be super sentient although we know that the droids in Star Wars are, super, are sentient but just the Florence the medical bot going through and then coming back with Anton was amazing also was very pivotal in saving Hop's life twice
0: I mean, they are a medical
4: bot. Yep.
2: (laughs) I like that they're a medical bot, so we shouldn't praise them for saving lives. That's their job.
0: (laughs) That is is Florence's function. (laughs) Yes. And Florence was their medical bot.
5: Mm Mm-hmm.
6: So, my thing that I love, I think, I think one of the things dearest to me in this show or these shows as a whole is sometimes we get moments of completely improvised narrative from eric that paint such a vivid and beautiful picture that it's almost impossible to believe it wasn't already pre-crafted and one of these moments for me in callisto 6 was um oya seeing all of the different multiverses and Uh, timelines happening all at the same time sat on that beach and there's something about eric's narrative sometimes which feels like he's almost mad there's 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 magic in it in a way that like it almost compels you to listen where other people reading the same words or repeating what he said wouldn't necessarily have the same effect he is a powerful powerful storyteller and this moment was kind of the climax of everything they'd been building up to from episode 1 of this is it this is over this is the consequences of what you have chosen to do and it is beautiful and it is life changing and you have saved not just this universe but every universe and it kind of wrapped up into like a nice neat little package for me everything that this show represents everything that um that they had been working towards everything that the players wanted that the characters wanted and um it's one of the most powerful pieces of narration i've ever seen eric do and he started out dr Hugh already as a very very talented um actor and writer and gm but the difference now is tangible and his prowess has only has only grown and this moment for me was kind of the kind of pinnacle of the the moments we have come to expect from eric and eric's stories and eric's players and um yeah it's it was just kind of magical it's like the world stopped for a minute whilst he was talking. It, almost in the way that Oya was sat, watching all these things happen, kind of in a weird little time bubble. It's, it, it's kind of like Eric can kind of make those sorts of things happen in the way that he crafts these beautiful kind of exposition moments.
0: Absolutely. So now, unfortunately, this is the end of C6. Boo! But we have so much more to be excited about. With this crew, Eric uh, has started running games at times. Uh, already he has run Geist, a very interesting and weird, spooky, nonsense game. It's very hard to explain in a very short amount of time, but it's good shit. Go check it out uh, at Qtimes Twitch or Qtimes YouTube channel. And Eric has launched a coffee to help uh, get a few things off the ground. Specifically, and one that everyone is very, very excited for, Clear Skies, a new Star Trek RPG at Q Times, with a, a slightly new cast.
1: We have some familiar faces, but new ones to the Star Trek. So we're we're gonna uh, we're gonna get we're gonna see Sam again. Bonnie will be there. This time, Xander will not be guest star like he was as Tristan. But he will be a regular. And Gina. Then we have uh, Revity Domsey, which is one of the, the new people coming in that hasn't really... Revity worked with uh, Eric and and played in Geist, but not in uh, Star Trek setting. Exactly. So that'll be interesting. And now I'm blanking out on the last one. Aki. 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 Yes, of course, Aki. Who we remember from playing Dot Baker on Shield of Tomorrow. Oh, Dot. Uh. So we did find out a little bit about that show. So it's going to take place about, I think it was like seven years after the uh, Dominion War. And it's going to be more of a spiritual successor to S.H.I.E.L.D., but it's going to be its own thing.
0: I doubt doubt they're going to be able to do anything regarding to S.H.I.E.L.D. because of... The fact that there are two different companies.
6: And uh, intellectual property law is a thing.
1: However, because in the announcement video that came out, they're going to be working with Star Trek Online, and the Sally Ride is mentioned in there. So they can make references, but I don't see anything other than that. It's just a vague reference. Yeah, this happened, and the setting for this is going to be Narendra Station. Now there
0: we go. Which which is straight out of the the source book.
6: But that's cuz that's Modiphius property, so. Yeah.
1: And it's very exciting.
0: Right. And I'm really ho- I- I'm so excited that Eric is to describe space again.
5: Oh. oh. Yes! yes, so excited. Yes, yes,
3: yes. And and he gets but... to do Klingons? Yes. Oh.
6: What I'm actually really excited for is obviously Eric has talked quite openly about the fact he likes Callisto 6 but comics book comic books aren't his thing. We all know how hardcore a Eric is. Oh, yeah. This is his baby. This is his love, his passion. Um, and so we're going to see that kind of shine through from like, from the first second that Clear Skies airs, all you're going to get is excited, holy shit, I get to run Star Trek, Eric. And that's my favorite kind of <laughs> Eric. It's so pretty excellent. It's a win win for everyone.
0: So catch that next year. But, and finally, with that, you can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or the Google Play Store.
2: Fucking missed a lot. Fuck off. (laughs) don't subscribe to our podcast now. Uh, Like, I mean, you you can can subscribe to our podcast. There may not be another version of this podcast. Uh, So, like, you don't don't feel you have to, but if you do, at least if Callisto 6 ever comes back, we'll be there
0: exactly so you can follow the rossi radio podcast on twitter again like, why it. it's, it's, it's your prerogative but it's at callisto six pod and you can email us again not sure why you do that at this point
2: please email me all of your aggressive thoughts about the cipher system <laughs> now oh, yeah, that i will not that. have the to address en- them the end
0: air. of time uh, yeah email us at rossityradio at gmail.com and then I'll give you Kato's personal email address <laughs> to throw Cypher at them. It's
2: Kato M. at gmail.com if you want to email me there your you thoughts.
0: There you go. Uh, yeah, so subscribe or whatever. You, you do you. Uh, uh, you could leave a rating and a review, but um, at this point, I'm not sure. We, we have a Patreon. I think we're probably going to maybe pause that for a while. <laughs>
5: probably.
0: Yes. Uh, and it's a Coffee, Get, you can. Again all on you we don't have any more episodes to have early access to and we do have some bonus content but we'll we'll get there
6: yeah we had lives unfortunately sorry guys
0: um so the show notes for this episode can be located at russieradio.com forward slash episode forward slash finale because numbers why would we use them Uh, our theme song is cephalopod has always been cephalopod by the the lovely kevin mcleod the god of free music on the internet
6: we stand one bracket one and composer and <laughs> you
0: can find his work at incopatech.com and from all of us here thank you for listening and continuing to stay tuned to this frequency
5: Sorry. So, can I just... Sorry. Oh, no, Mitch God. looked
6: at me and did snaps in air quotes. And when I looked confusing <laughs> at me, he mouthed Talison Jaffy at me. And I'm like, listen, you're also right, but shut up. <laughs> like I said, it's not my fault he has a type and that type is my type. Sorry. Please continue. <laughs> I'll deal with him later. <laughs>